OTB Sports Rugby. Don't just take it easy, keep the emotion in check. That's not that what sport is about. It's about emotion. It's about singing your national anthem with pride. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right. All right. Very good morning to you. Very welcome along. It's Tuesday morning. It's half past seven. Uh, Shane is here. Good morning. Happy Pancake Tuesday. Oh, I forgot about that. Colm is here as well. Hi, Jared. Hi, Shane. No pancakes. No pancakes. Shrug, I know we should have had something. Bad, you know, are you a big pancake fan? Bad production. Are you saying you're not a pancake fan? Uh, I am, yeah. I made that joke. What kind of monster are you? I said I was. I'm asking you. I wouldn't like them. But who isn't? Okay. I know I'd say that. Anyone in there? Out there? Oh, who do doesn't like pancakes? pancakes? Let us know. Oh, where do you like them? Oh, always. Mm. That's that's it. There are many different types of pancake, and they're all equally acceptable. Shrove Tuesday. Just a bit of Google in there. Um, will you make them this yeah. evening in the uh, Gilroy household? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Did, did you know? Here's a fun fact, guys. The Royal Shrove Tide football match is a medieval football game played annually on Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday in the town of Ashburn in Derbyshire, England. Right, not in England since at least, at least the 12th century. Keep your royalist nonsense away from this show, Shane. There you go. Medieval football. Can I give us a review of the latest episode of The Crown there while you're at it? No. Funny enough, I don't watch The Crown. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. Thank you. Sports. I thought thought that added something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Would you you make pancakes in the Hannon? I usually, yeah, throw them in the toaster or something. But they're not made. They're yeah, you can, yeah, you yeah, bought. You can. You can make them from scratch. Like. The, 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 the creeps. Not there. acceptable. I forgot the part where you buy the pancakes and then all of a sudden they don't become pancakes. Not do acceptable. Do they not count? They don't count. They do count. Of course, no, they're, they're, they don't count. See, I can't cook. Again, there's no cooking involved. It's like the easiest thing in the world. You, you, believe me, you can butcher. You can butcher you, pancakes. You can't. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, I mean, uh, what really, do you do? You put. The, you put the so top and through it. I mean, you mix all the stuff together. You whip it into a batter. Right. You you make your uh, pan a little bit hot. You put a bit of butter in it. See, already there's too many steps. Right. And you've climbed mountains and not died. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but, you know, the food was made for me up Kilimanjaro, thankfully. How do you eat every day? How do I eat? Well, I usually put it in my mouth, but I, I would say... No, I, I get a lot of the ready-made fit foods. Do you know the Fit Foods kind of... No, I don't. It's, you stick it in the microwave for four and a half minutes. Right, and that's it. So, I, I eat a lot of good fruit. Um, I, I eat quite healthily. eat a lot of protein. and How? Um, what, in what form? <laughs> yeah, I, I use protein powder. I use creatine and things like that. That's to not healthy. Supplement it. Well, like, with, with, you, with a balanced diet. Say I, I chicken. Well, I, I eat a lot of chicken. I eat a lot of chicken. I eat fish. How, I eat, do, um, how do you cook it? Peanuts. Who cooks it for you? Uh, who cooks it? It's a good question. Do you buy it right yeah, cooked? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go somewhere where they fry it in fat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's ah, also yeah. not healthy. <laughs> I know. Wow, okay. But I do a lot of exercise if that helps. Well, it offsets a little bit. I read books. But there'll be a point, <laughs> there'll be a point where that stops offsetting. Yeah, I know. Anyway, we went down a dark and, and lonely path there. Um, how are you all this morning? Uh, just a couple of things. Um, obviously, Liverpool play Manchester United tonight. and Liverpool Real Madrid. Yeah, uh, Real Madrid. Liverpool play Real Madrid tonight. And um, Rafa Benitez is hanging around like a bad smell. Have you noticed this just recently? Yeah, he's commenting just, on everything. Just emerging from his chrysalis. He's, like, he was in China for ages. Um, he somehow managed to turn that into a story about Bacetich in the papers today. So he's got a column in the Times, I think, and he's um, doing interviews 
And uh, he's made it clear that he's interested in David Moyes' job. None of the other jobs that are available and free at the moment, which are crap jobs, basically, because you're more than likely going to go down. But like Rafa, whose most recent stint in English football uh, wasn't that good, was it? It didn't seem to be much of a success. Now, people are blaming Everton for picking him. Well, it was their fault that he was no good. It's rather a bit of a snake. And and maybe it was their fault that he was a bit of... uh, that he was no good. But maybe he's just no good anymore. I don't like the fact that I don't like the fact that he's eyeing up Moisey's job when he's still in the job. And I also I know Liverpool fans won't like the fact that he went to Everton as well. That's a bit snaky, like. Uh, I mean, I I think if if West Ham pick Rafa Benitez, then fair play to you, West Ham. You deserve everything that's coming your way. I also think that somebody was making the point yesterday that of all the managers who are available at the moment for a relegation battle, David Moyes is the best available. We're going to speak with Mark Lawrence a little bit later on about this. That's why I was. Um, <clears throat> bringing this up but like <clears throat> Rafa is also kind of you know he's um, the Forrest Gump of modern football in his columns it's like oh Sergio Ramos used to say these things to me when I was at Real Madrid I'm like I mean again uh, how successful was this time at, mm. at Real Madrid and then obviously he's talking about the last time that he remembers being in charge for Liverpool Real Madrid when Casillas was man of the match and Liverpool won 4-0 and they crushed him Mm. But it's a long time ago. It's not. Mm. It wasn't last decade. It was the decade before that. His managerial career is kind of akin to Robert De Niro's acting, isn't it? Oh. Where he had this kind of peak time, Valencia, Liverpool, Hold what he achieved minutes, at yeah. those clubs. I right? know you're not about to diss Robert De Niro. And then, uh, well, De Niro had this like pretty much flawless um, CV, and then at the turn of the century started doing stuff for money, basically. And Benitez, since he left Liverpool, has kind of gone from one job to the other. I mean, he went to Inter when they had just won the treble under Mourinho and was gone within a few months and got the Real Madrid job and was gone within a few months. And ever since then, then he's been bouncing from club to club. Now, he did have that good spell at Newcastle. Was which it was good? Was it good? Yeah, he did. Yeah, the fans relegation. loved him. The fans loved him. They but was it good, up. though? He brought them back up from the championship. Was it Was it good, though? Like, was it really well, good? What you mean? Was well, it's like, obviously not compared he? to now, but it was in, well, like, since 1996 under Kevin Keegan. It was probably the brightest time that they had. And maybe a bit of Bobby Robson in 2003. Was the football not terrible? Was everyone not complaining well, about I think football being absolutely... I think at that time they just wanted uh, kind of practical results. So it wasn't good. It was just it was mildly successful. But given the size of the club, like yeah, I have to, yeah, I I, I think I think it was grand. It was like a you know it meets expectations. It wasn't good. Think, like it was a uh, well, the results were decent. I think that was that constituted good at the time for Newcastle. He did well at Newcastle. That's what I mean by good. I'd say he did. I mean okay. I don't. Re- I, I mean I competition wasn't exactly fierce. I don't remember the uh, football being stodgy or terrible at the same time I think it was I th- I think but I wasn't inspired by it but I mean how many teams are you inspired by mm. well uh, certainly we were talking to Newcastle journalists at the time they were like this, mm. you know Rafa keeps saying he's got no money and in fairness he, he didn't have a huge amount of money but like it was the football that you would expect from him it was the same football that was played at Everton like um, yeah I mean I no good not very interesting I mean it's interesting if he played the same football twice and got completely different results but they weren't completely different results they were well, but Newcastle exactly he did really well for a long time How, and Everton he didn't do it well did he do really well yeah for the where Newcastle were at the club at the time but where did they finish but he got them back up when they were in dire straits ok I think we're, we're splitting hairs here I don't think Rafa Benitez has been a good manager I think you're right since the early stages of his career and, and for whatever reason he just lost it now I'm sure that Liverpool fans think very highly of Rafa because he delivered a, a little oasis of incredible success and one of the all time great moments in the club but then it petered out and I think something broke at that point and he has not been good since I, I always wonder how do managers go from being say the, the mid-noughties 
Benitez that wins the Champions League. How do you go from that to being a bad manager? Like, I was watching a great, um, again, snooker. I was watching a snooker uh, video with Stephen Hendry on his YouTube channel the other day with Steve Davis, and he was saying, where would you be, where would you be right now, at your peak in the 80s, where would you be right now? Would you be in the top 16 players in the world? And he said he'd be in the top eight. Will Alex Ferguson be as good now as he was from 86 to 2013? Probably not. Oh, he would, yeah. Well, you have, to, you have to deal with egos more so now than you had Fer- to back oh, Ferguson. Then. That's my point with Benitez as well. Managers go from uh, being good to not being good across the course of a generation because football changes, not them. I, I mean, we'll literally never get the answer to Ferguson whether he'd be good. No, or I know. But I think, but I, no, but I do think it's a good question because I think he got out just at the right time for but, Ferguson. Yeah, exactly. I think because um, since 2013, like social media, the professionalism of it. I think he that would. Hit, I think. Would I think it. he would dislike the influence of social media on the players and the access to the club because United they didn't give much away in Fergie's time in the media they would do general interviews but they wouldn't let you have all access areas or players sharing their personal lives like you were saying to us last week Marcus Rashford showed us what he did for Valentine's Day at home Yeah, yeah. I think under Alex Ferguson he'd be called into the office the next morning you can't be showing now Ferguson's probably biggest strength was adaptation over the years Mm. so I'm sure he would have adapted in some way but I do firmly believe that he got out at the exact perfect time for Ferguson's legacy to maintain which goes back to Benitez had he stopped managing in about 2010 you'd be talking about one of the great same with Mourinho it happens to them all um, well uh, Angelani maybe not Miguel has written about this before that managers seem to have a peak and I I think it's um, sure football changes they don't necessarily change or adapt or maybe they do change and they try and adapt away from their principles. I think the point about Ferguson is that he was an absolute winner and would have won in any generation and would have done whatever it takes. So if that means, like, it, I mean, if you look at his track record of bringing in wiser, smarter football brains, he, he took them in and learned from them. And also he was able to manage Cristiano, like, for a period of time. He was able to manage Beckham. It didn't end brilliantly, but he certainly was able to manage Beckham. And he was there for the birth of the... Uh, super celebrity footballer so I, I think that he would have been totally fine in this era and every other era because he understands the human condition of wanting to win I think he would have been fine but he strongly disliked Beckham's activities outside of football yeah, but, he, but he was able strongly. to use them well, I, and he it, was able to it, use Canton I, I, I think there's countless examples of Ferguson I, I think uh, you know I think Ferguson would have absolutely been very successful in this or any other era. I think that's the point about greatness is that it transcends the era that it's in Yeah, like I, I think uh, so who, who was saying was it Steve Davis was saying he would be top 8 he, he, he was Stephen Henry was of the opinion that Steve Davis would be will be probably top 8 now uh, if he was as good as he was in the 80s I think that's bollocks well, you think he'd be higher well absolutely he'd be higher but the but, quality of snooker same as, as football the yeah, quality of football is better than the 80s yeah but he was the very best at that time so whatever it was that he was doing to be the best at that time was what he was driven to do yeah it's like saying oh Maradona now because he's, you know, he's a little bit stocky he wouldn't be he, absolutely it's like you know they have sports go- science and stuff yeah, yeah yeah and they would have had the benefit of the sports science from the time they were 10 or 12 like um, I think that, you know if you were to take 1980s Steve Davis and you know give him a time machine and no no moments to practice no like years of building up to the point and no years of being exposed to the, the players that he was coming up against the whole way absolutely uh, you can see how uh, you know if you were to take the great if you were to take Laro's team and put them out without the sports science and give them the diet and the pints and put them up against one of these teams now but if they'd all come through the system they'd still be the best footballers in the world because they're well they're certainly the best footballers in these islands 
because they were the best footballers in these islands and well, they're not the best footballers in the world anymore I don't know mm. because obviously the, the game is globalised but some footballers though in the 80s probably were so good because they were allowed the chance to socialise and unwind and have their few drinks before matches and stuff like that I whereas so. they, would, they wouldn't survive in this day and age of no show us what you're eating weigh yourself there this morning do you know the, the obsession with the stats and the numbers and the GPS in the back and all that crack some players just wouldn't some great footballers in the 80s just wouldn't have that we don't know who obviously it's all hypothetical but I don't. I don't think everyone would would follow through and be great. Like it's tough. Yeah, you mentioned like Beckham and Cantona, two world class footballers that the hey. Ferguson had to had to deal with. Do you that's know, a, that? that's a throwback there to um, little throwback for all of you who are regular viewers. But um, yeah, no, it's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting hypothesis. But but I think Benitez, I feel like he hasn't stopped being a good manager. Football has just moved on. Maybe. I wonder if the ideal time to be a footballer in the nineteen nineties, if you were a high earner and the, one of the elite players. Because you could still kind of enjoy yourself. Oh, yeah. Right? And if you look back in videos of that time, when they take off their shirts afterwards, they exchange jerseys, whatever, they're not exactly ripped. You mm-hmm. know, they're kind of standard bodies, almost dad bods. And yet they would be at the top of their game. And they'd earn a decent living. And if they invested that wisely at the time, you could still be living off that. Ah, yeah. And at the same time, you were probably able to go about your life and enjoy it to an extent. Now, of course, you're rich beyond your wildest dreams, but there is a price to pay. Yeah. Your freedom. Freedom, as yeah, I think I, I do think you look at someone like Jose Mourinho, who's adapted. He, he's adapted, hasn't he? He's not as good as he. He's not. He's not like mid noughties Chelsea Mourinho, but he's still a good football manager. I think um, I, I I haven't seen enough of his Roma team play, right? But it definitely felt like he didn't adapt in a way. It felt like he was still trying to play the same type of football and had inferior players, like mm. his. His his uh, experience at, at Porto is unique, remarkable, and it marks him down as uh, something of a genius. And I think that will always be as part of his CV. But is he as impressive a character now in world football as he was then? Probably not, because, it, it, I don't know, the football at Manchester United was pretty stale. Yeah, it was, yeah. But he's still... His quality is still shone at times at United. I mean, like the... Won a couple of trophies. Well, the, United, the only time that United have done better than they, they are at the moment since Ferguson was 2018 under Mourinho. Yeah. You know? That's and a year before, like, he's the last manager to win trophies at United, 2017. They won the League Cup and the Europa League. That was under Mourinho as well. Yes, you probably look back in that time and be like, it wasn't too much of a success because he himself didn't seem too happy mm. at United. Like, he lived out of a hotel, never felt, felt like he was really settling in there, never felt like he wanted to stay there in any way long term. Um, but you still saw the quality shone through just by historical build-up of his quality. But he lost that spark that we saw at Chelsea and Inter. With Benitez, like, I think his, he was great. I would describe him as a great manager in the noughties. Like, that Liverpool squad had absolutely no right to go near a Champions League final, let alone win it. <laughs> and then it wasn't just that. It wasn't like a one-hit wonder. There was a reason Liverpool hired him, and that's the work he did at Valencia. So he was brilliant. But there is the uh, the De Niro comparison for me is that he mm. slipped off and started taking job after job, and then the more jobs you take like that, where they're a bit underwhelming, the legacy is that little bit tainted. That's right. for me where Benitez comes in uh, and hanging around like a bad smell, trying to get David Moyes like to cuckoo David Moyes at the moment. That's what's going on. If you want to get involved this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Here's what's coming up between now. And 10 o'clock for you. Alison Miller is going to join us to preview the rugby from 8. Mark Lawrence, and we'll talk to him about Moisey, and we'll talk to him, obviously, about the Real Madrid game tonight. 
John Duggan's going to join us at 8.40. Tommy Rooney's going to look back on the weekend football at 8.50. Will O'Callaghan's going to join us at 10 past nine and we'll play out some Pat Nevin goodness at uh, half past nine this morning. Um, okay, so just very briefly, I'm going to take you through some of the uh, comments coming in. Shifty Lad's a big fan of the pancakes with peanut butter. Not yeah. A huge, not a huge fan of the... Um, peanut butter and jam but fresh out of the pan absolutely yeah um, a bit of lemon and sugar isn't it it's not the classic he's after the West Ham job is that a fact says uh, Jim Sullivan I don't think anybody's mentioned Rafa and not the the facts not come through pretty quickly afterwards um, anyway Benitez for Leeds maybe I, I think doesn't uh, want Leeds is um, beneath him he doesn't want a job where Who's like Leeds he, beneath him though it's a big club because they're going to go down that's what he thinks that's, that's his his assessment is West Ham are going to stay up so I'll take that job and uh, they're a more stable club more stable owners better situation in terms of revenue yeah more resources um, you'd imagine mm. James McCullough says Rafa took over an expensive squad at Newcastle and took them down they were 17th and got them relegated Colm seems to be washing away his failure Rafa's a brilliant manager but it's definitely more of a cautious type says Shane I always remember the season 08-09 when Liverpool would have won the league if it wasn't for about 10 or 11 draws the squad he had at Newcastle uh, sorry, the squad at Newcastle was appealing. He got Ayotze, Rondon, and Almiron firing for the second half of the season. Seventh best form for the last 12, 15 games of a season. That's Connor Costello. I do love those little mini tables because when, um, when Unai Emery came in, there was a period where Unai Emery had won the third most points of any manager since he arrived. You're like, the reason that the season is a marathon, not a sprint, is because <laughs> every game counts, including the ones at the start of the season. It's where ridiculous. Manchester United lost those games and they were absolutely terrible. It's That's like Manchester United have won the title if it's played from December 12th to January 17th. Oh, great. Let's, let's have a parade through Manchester. Let's know, go into St. Peter's Square with a cardboard trophy and celebrate that. That's a, ridiculous. That's mad. No, I mean, obviously you take that. That's called form. Yeah, but this whole... United are top of that table from that period just period moulded to shape United's form ridiculous I can't wait to see Pep managing Stoke in 15 years says uh, Jamie Domican somehow I suspect that he's made enough money and it doesn't feel I mean he's going to take the Brazil job and retire after that football is was Groundhog Day the other, the other day and Neil Warnock taking over at Huddersfield like these managers always come back like Neil Warnock will be managing a team in, in 50 years and he'll be 140 Nal Quinn's on the record saying no way would he be a footballer today everyone has a camera and a video in their back pocket says Mark C I still think uh, from an athletic perspective like Nal Quinn was an incredible athlete and so you can guarantee that one of those Premier League clubs would have had him from the time he was 14 there would have been no hurling for the Dublin Miners yeah, and they would have turned him into Erling Haaland and before there were camera phones in, in nightclubs for footballers, Ferguson had bouncers in Manchester on payrolls. So there, are, there is always a way to find out if people... Couldn't keep some of his best part out of jail, though. Well, there is that. It didn't always work. No. Uh, he found out, uh, found out about it a lot of times afterwards. Uh, Conor Costello says, which is good form considering all the big clubs were play, paying well, uh, playing well Bar Manchester United. Sorry, that was um, in a second part to his um, Newcastle one. Uh, John Lindo says crowds up in the League of Ireland but first round of games not even given token mention yesterday we'll remember this next time you have a debate about what's wrong with Irish football where's Johnny Johnny's in on Thursday so we will do it John don't worry Mm -hmm. Uh, Ferguson did it over four decades I'm sure he could have managed the uh, latest crop great point John League of Ireland we will do some League of Ireland stuff we will definitely do some League of Ireland stuff don't worry it's coming the attendances were what was it remarkably high compared to what they had in the last weekend of the, the season last year and then someone made the point on Twitter if the, if the capacity of stadiums was actually higher 
the attendances would naturally be higher. The demand is there. Sometimes the stadiums can't fit the demand uh, based on certain clubs. So I think the, the interest in the League of Ireland is definitely heading one direction and it's a positive one, in my opinion. I can't support a team because I'm Mullen United, though. You could pick a Dublin team. Yeah, but I could pick Bohemians because they're the closest team to me. But the people always say to me, oh, you, you not just support Dundalk. And I'm like, yeah, but Dundalk are the closest team at home, but they were the biggest rivals because they were the closest team. I mean, they were never rivals, though. They were always a division higher than you. They were always winning. No, no, we played each other in Premier Division games before, I remember. I remember, be- I remember be- being at them, Jer. Was there like, when that was the season when the two divisions were merged? Is it that season? Paddy Andrews was playing, and uh, Brian Gartland, and Roddy Collins was manager. And, ah, good times. Yeah, but uh, you weren't real rivals. No, uh, maybe for a couple of years we were rivals. You were rivals the way, like, yeah. you know, a team is in the League Cup and, oh, we're rivals of Manchester United. We're gonna, we might get drawn against them. <laughs> maybe. Um, there are rumours about uh, Dundalk and a potential new ownership stake that have emerged over the last 24 hours. Haven't stacked any of those up just yet, but if, um, you know, we, we've seen that Shelburne were close to having a portion of uh, the club sold for investment. So there's definitely interest in... Um, other clubs around the world buying stakes we're seeing the situation with Waterford at the moment we, uh, we are going to talk to Johnny Walters about that uh, in the coming weeks too so um, there's an opportunity for definitely for some teams around the world to come and buy some stakes and use it as a, a recruiting tool so we'll see if that's good or bad in the long run um, obviously it would be better if there was um, ownership in local hands but you don't always get what you want I look at some of the regions in, in Ireland that don't have a League of Ireland team Monaghan being one of them Tipperary Mayo Think of the counties that don't have a, a League of Ireland team at the moment. And, and, and part of me wonders, how oh, wouldn't it be great if, if they all had a, a team? But then I'm wondering, would it take away from... Like, is it a good thing to have a bit of a geographical spread? Like, Connacht has Sligo Rovers and Galway and all these other teams. Like, do you need a county in in every single... Or a team in every single county slash region? I don't know. Uh, well, this is the argument around the Irish rugby team at the moment, which we might get into. Most of fans uh, very upset about the fact that Scott Penny got called into the squad um, we'll, we'll float this with Alison Miller but if you're a Munster rugby fan this morning and you saw the Ireland squad yesterday uh, give us your thoughts 0879 is the WhatsApp number or you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream We've Pancakes been- and Nutella and strawberries and coconut is the Owen Hurley recipe for a beautiful pancake coconut fresh coconut um, I don't think so. Strawberry and Nutella is actually the best way to have pancakes. That that commenter is bacon and maple syrup. That's that's the, the real North American. That's what way, I like. Yeah, bacon and maple syrup. Jeez, but bloated well, afterwards. Your day is gone. You're done. We have but the taste sensation. The best is bacon in the world, not the American bacon. Oh, but the American bacon actually does look very, is actually very nice. It looks pancakes. good, but oh. is it crispy though? Mm. Whatever. Yeah, crispy do whatever you want, Shane. Yeah. Do what I see. If you if you just like if you learn how to burn the bacon, you can have it as crispy as you want. Okay. You know, I was burn wondering the bacon. You see in American films, you know, they're always topping up coffee all the time, like classic. Yeah, how do they all the time, right? And I was thinking, like, they must be wired all day. There's an American recently. Having said the aforementioned bacon and pancakes, right, with this coffee. But it's so ridiculously weak mm. that you actually could drink this all day, all no right. bother. It's basically it's brown water. <laughs> and like the coffee we get here, which is very strong. Now, an interesting comment here by Fergus Kyo. Luck and talent uh, both play a role in management. Had Liverpool not come back from 3-0 down in Istanbul, would Benitez still be loved? And if United hadn't won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1990, would Fergie have been sacked for finishing 13th? It's a fair point. History is decided by these very little yet very significant my, da- my dad te- tells me about it. Dad was on a train in London in 1980, I want to say 88 or 89, and he was going to United versus Charlton, but it was at Sellers Park. I think the valley was getting done up. 
And on the way to the match, the chance from the United fans, the away fans, and that was one of them, was all Fergie out. Like, it was vitriol towards Alex Ferguson. This is before he'd won a trophy, of course. But this is what this is the thing. He wouldn't have lasted in this turns day and age. Out, turns out fans don't know don't know diddly squat. No, do they? Well, uh, if you go three and three or four years without a trophy nowadays, you just well, you don't go three or four years without a trophy. You've, you've lost your job. So patience doesn't exist anymore in the game. That's another one. Just a classic lemon and sugar from Emma, Emma Carroll outside. Yeah, <clears throat> fact. So I grew up on. Not, good. A, not a big fan of the lemon and sugar. Mm. Don't like it. I, I I think the maple syrup and bacon is the one to go. We've been uh, we've been busy, Jar. Um. So, fans of the show, do you want to set this set, set this one up, Colin? Yeah, yeah, sure. Top 10 Premier League players for oh. respective clubs. Yeah. This all started with a debate about Eric Cantona, now many weeks ago. So it started it, yeah? started that. Right. And um, two weeks ago, Shane and I did our Manchester United top 10s. Mm-hmm. They were analysed, scorned, or celebrated. And spat out. Last week, when Nathan was uh, guest hosting, we did Liverpool guest co-hosting actually and Liverpool and Nathan did his own Liverpool ones as well and now John Duggan having seen that segment voluntarily sent me on his top 10 Spurs players in the Premier League era Bobby Dwyer's ears are just pricked up so Shane and I decided well we'll do our own as well so we can set ours up now and then about 8.40am this morning John Duggan will come in and give you his definitive top 10 Tottenham Hotspur players of the Premier League era but Shane yeah. I would love to hear your top ten. We should, we should point out as well that we chose the Premier League era because before 92, we don't really remember the players properly. You chose to do this because it uh, retrospectively granted you Eric Cantona into the top ten at Manchester United. It meant that you couldn't grandfather in any players who you hadn't seen before that. I, I, and it was a sixth, uh, it's a raft of self-justification. That, that just, uh, I just want to make sure that everybody out there is aware that oh, we just need a parameter. it was a snivelling at- attempt to... Justify your own Manchester United fandom ignorance. Well, I would that love, was it. I would love to put Danny Blanchflower into this Spurs team. I really would. Oh, yeah, yeah. But sure. I just don't really know where Blanchflower's subtle passing was any better okay, than so uh, Christian Eriksen's. You can't understand history because. Well, like, uh, no, I understand you. history. You can't read books. I, I understand the logic of history. You don't trust anybody. I, I totally do. With but, the, um, the evidence of your own eyes. You're the, doubting the, Thomas. The so, the my top 10, top 10 folks, uh, just to. Is subjective. You had to be there, as Ken Doherty just said. My top 10 of the Premier League era for Tottenham, and I hope this is in order. Uh, 10 Hyungmin Son Number 9 Robbie Keane 8 David Ginola 7 My favourite footballer of all time Dimitar Berbatov 6 Jurgen Klinsmann 5 Ledley King 4 Christian Eriksen In the top 3 3 Gareth Bale 2 Luka Modric And 1 Harry of the Canes uh, I, I, throw, I threw Berbatov in there Because he was involved heavily in that uh, League Cup win 2008 and if you're a Tottenham fan winning a trophy does not happen too often and Berbatov was paramount scored in the final penalty I think um, had that partnership with Robbie Keane I think they were the first players in four or five years to win the Premier League Player of the Month jointly they were like we can't, we can't separate these two guys they're brilliant um, Romance. player of the season at Spurs a year, for a year or two as well uh, Berbatov was he had the best he was just he was the Paul Finley of Tottenham do you know, just a real subtle, slow movement, almost lazy look. Everything seemed like, is he even arsed? And then once he'd kicked the ball or touched the ball, you're like, oh, this is this is something else. This is gold. Sultry. Um, just delicate. Bulgarian beauty. That's what it was, Dimitar Berbatov. So he deserves his place. I don't want to hear anyone say that he didn't. Like, Cheringham's obviously close, and Darren Adderton, and there's others. And I'm sure, Colm, you, uh, yeah. you have your 10 now. Uh, Berbatov was asked recently, was it difficult being a footballer? And he was like, no, not really. It's not easy for me. Sums him up. Here's my 10 for people who can't see. Number 10, Saul Campbell. What a player. 
Judas, of course, as he was labelled after his move to Arsenal for a free transfer, 2001. What a player, though. Number nine, Son. Number eight, Rabi. Number seven, Dimitar. Number six, Christian Eriksen. Number five, Jurgen Klinsmann. Only there for two seasons. Actually, a season and a half, really, when he came back in 1997-98. But what a season, 94-95. Mm. Number four, Rolls-Royce of a centre-half. Ledley King, never trained, always played. Phenomenal. Did you ever see when he uh, tracks uh, Arjen Robin? Arjen Robin's trip 101 in White Hart Lane. Like, one of the fastest players in the Premier League. Yeah. And Ledley King sprints back and gets to the ball in time. Superb tackler. What a player. Yeah. And the top three, Luka Modric in three, Gareth Bale number two, and Harry Kane himself number one. I would challenge anyone to name a better top three in any other team in the Premier League or in fact any other sport of top tens. That who, top three is who absolutely is, phenomenal. Who's your three, Shane? Yeah, I, I had the same, same three but different order. I had Bale three and Modric two. All right. With Kane number one as well. I mean, you don't have Modric way further down your list at one point. Oh no, that's, sorry, that's coming later, is it? Uh, hmm? No, Modric, is, Modric deserves to be there. Number two for me. Oh, 100%. So Luke Kane's number one for both years. Yeah. He had uh, Bale two, I had Modric two. And I had Bale three, he had Modric. I think Bale's um, final season and final two seasons at Tottenham like pretty much untouchable. I think yeah. we actually touched on it last week with Luis Suarez season 2013-14 where... Um, you know, you, you couldn't do anything to stop Suarez if he was in the mood. And Who that was ab- absolutely bail for two seasons at Tottenham. You've left Ginola out, is that it? Is Correct. That, yeah. Oh, yeah, but you put Campbell yeah. in. Fair enough. I, fair put enough. Cam- I, I think people, it's easy to forget about Sol Campbell, but, you know, because, you know, he doesn't help himself at all with his legacy, but, like, what a player. Mm. And also won the League Cup at Tottenham as well, ah, yeah. I believe. So, um, brilliant defender. And, like, Tottenham, like, this is classic Spurs. They have so many brilliant individual players, and but that's also why we're called lads. It's Tottenham. Mm. Does Ugo Lloris deserve to be? I think Ugo um, should have a shout. Like, we have a habit now of picking at least one goalkeeper in our top tens because goalkeepers are crucial to the success yeah, of the club. We, yeah, but Ugo's never won anything at Tottenham. No. You know? Never won anything. Um, but, like, a really, really strong top three. And, like... Gareth Bale is just endlessly fascinating to me, a guy who was just like, I'm not that bothered anymore. Mm. <laughs> and yet still achieved pretty much everything you can in the game. Well, that was, peak. That was peak Bale, Tottenham Bale. Yeah, I was his last two seasons, so like those three. And then Luka Modric, when he first signed, I think Harry Knapp played him on the left. Didn't think he was strong enough to play centre-mid in the Premier League mm. and only moved him into the centre because of injuries. And then you're becoming one of the, the best technicians that the league has ever seen. And that also coincided with Gareth Bale's amazing form. People are like, go mad. So, so Paul Coppola says, Premier League era, what's the point? And then Fergus Keogh says, any Spurs top 10 excluding Hoddle shows the stupidity of pretending soccer was invented in 1992. Oh, if we if we extended but, it to everything, like yeah, Paul Gascoigne would be in it as well. Of course. I would say Clive Allen would probably be in it. You know, loads of shouldn't have kids doing top tens unless it's prime flavours, says Paul Compton. Paul, I would tend to agree with you. I think the, you know that the notion that history started when the arbitrary. No, it, it, I haven't drank. Uh, I haven't drank prime yet either. So the arbitrary moment of the back to uh, bed. I haven't either. Robbie Keane was classed as advent first, of correct. satellite TV. Um, is Robbie Keane really in the top ten? Uh, yeah, I would say so for his impact on the club. Like six years for the first time, and then he had a short spell afterwards. Won the League Cup with them. It's the only trophy that they've won. I think, I think a lot of Spurs fans wouldn't have him in the top ten. That's I, I think he was. Um, I do acknowledge our Irishness as maybe shoehorned him in there. I think he was pretty exceptional mm, for quite a while. All right, um, this is a slot that fans are loving. If you want to get in touch this morning, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number, or of course you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. It's a minute past eight. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. As I said, we're going to talk to Mark Lawrenson a little bit later on. We'll preview the game against Real Madrid tonight, but we'll also talk to him about his mate David Moyes. Uh, we'll uh, speak with John Duggan and get his top ten. Uh, Tommy Rooney is going to talk to us about the weekend's Gaelic football action. And we also have hurling power rankings for the first time this season from Will O'Callaghan of 
the uh, hurling pods. Uh, I think the hurling pod has started the beef. I don't know if you've seen this. Who is this with? With the football pod. Oh, love it. This so, is what we need. Well, I think just generally with football, they're basically saying uh, hurling there are hundreds of skills. In football, there are four. Let's oh. be having you, lads. Oh, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, what? How, how I don't want to misrepresent them here, Shane, just in case they're getting that wrong. But that's that certainly, that seems to have been the bit that they were like, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Let's clip that. Let's send that out there and see what happens. What's the four skills in football? Kicking, catching, passing, catching fist passing. Ah, there's loads of skills in, in, in both. Sorry, it is objectively true that hurling is... Dragging people down, I football. suppose that's a skill, isn't it? Battering lads with your elbows. 100% that's a skill. Close lining. Yeah, yeah. All skills. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't so putting good, a, putting on an extra man, they're all the skills of football. Skilling football is a ridiculous sport. Like, you can play another sport in the sport, and it's totally fine to do that. Hurling is um, you can play pool when you're playing snooker. Hurling is sensational. Well, that's just different rules. Like, <laughs> yeah, you just put the ball down, and just pass it around if you want. You can't. Though, to be honest, it's, you can though. Yeah. All right, but you absolutely can. But maybe maybe, maybe so we won't skillful. clip that bit either. It's two minutes past eight. We're turning our attention to rugby, and I'm delighted to say Alison Miller is with us this morning. Oh. No. no. Ads first. Okay, there you go. We're going to get to Alison Miller. Uh, ads first. OTB AM. Ireland play Italy this weekend in Six Nations. The uh, Italians are going to have Garabisi back. Uh, there was some rumours that maybe Sergio Parise might be catapulted back in, but that's not going to happen, it looks like now. And uh, they're as dangerous as they've ever been with us riding high at the moment. So this has all the potential for a banana skin, or does it? It looks like um, Sexton's going to be out according to the papers this morning. So there's plenty of us to get our teeth stuck into. And I'm delighted to say Alison Miller is with us to help us do that. Alison, good morning to you. How are you? Morning. How are you guys? Um, Obviously, Ireland can't afford to be complacent, but we will be heavy favourites for this game. Um, The Italians have shown an improvement. So what do you expect ahead of this? Oh, yeah. Look, the way Ireland are playing and their skill set for the moment, their fitness, the confidence, the form they're bringing in, just the way they're playing, like, Obviously, Ireland are huge favourites. I think uh, Italy have probably slightly moved away from the way they were playing. Um, at the weekend, I think Italy's uh, scrum wasn't good or their set piece where traditionally that would have been good um, and they would have probably been like very physical. But they are actually kind of playing, uh, looking to get the ball wide and move to the edges and playing a, a good tempo. But Ireland will definitely be favourites. They can't be anything but favourites after their performance against France. Even with Sexton not in the match day squad, yeah, I think we've we've moved to the stage now where um, I know Sexton is a brilliant player, but like we've shown that we've no Henshaw, uh, Jemison Gibson, Park, Furlong that we can like that we can play and that we can play really well without these players. So I think, look, it's probably a good thing not for Sexton, but that we are facing this adversity that we we've shown with like not having the other players that were forced into this situation. I think. It will be good for Ireland that, um, you know, in the long run that we have to um, play like Ross Byrne or whoever it is, is what they're going to pick and be well able to manage. So I think we're at that stage where um, if we just stick to our systems and all that, that we can we can be successful and, and win the game at the weekend and win it comfortably. General sense, Alison, seems to be that Andy Farrell won't be changing his team dramatically. Maybe a couple of changes here and there, as we said, but... Can you understand that, given that the Italy game is, is slap-bang in the middle once again in the middle of Ireland's Six Nations? Yeah, I suppose I always expect there to be more changes every year when we're playing Italy, but I suppose you've got to keep that consistency and if players are playing well, 
I suppose, why would you right, rotate them? You want to keep that uh, consistency in form. But at the same time, um, there'll probably be a few changes, but you don't want to have like wholesale changes, which would might disturb the flow of um, of how a team are playing. But um, yeah, like there'll be a few changes. I'm interested to see who has changed and what, what way Andy Farrell goes about it, like how much time he gives people off the bench or um, who he changes. But um, yeah, like Italy have some good players, like, um, they're 15, like he's quite a good player. Capuso and um, Garbisi is going to be back at 10. And Lorenzo Cannone, I don't know how I'm pronouncing that, it's probably not how you pronounce it. The number eight is quite a physical player and they've got some good players. And like obviously you've got to show respect for the opposition, but I just think the way Ireland are playing at the moment, um, you know, like would be strong favourites and um, they'd be looking to put in a performance. And those guys that get an opportunity at the weekend, um, they'll be looking to stake their claim like, for example, like someone like Finley Beelham there, there was a lot of talk about how Ireland would um, manage without the likes of like world-class furlong. But I think like that conversation is over. Like Finley Beelham is now, I think, like they're in competition nearly at this stage. Um, he did so well at the weekend. So, you know, sometimes there's a chance for guys to get an opportunity and show what they, they can do. And Finley Beelham, like his scrummaging was really good. Obviously his touch for... Um, you keen and try was just lovely soft hands and different things like that. So I think we're at this stage where there's huge competition in the Irish team. So those people that get a chance, they're they're going to try and take it. I think um, those of us who followed Irish rugby for a long period of time are still uh, somewhat concerned about the possibility of a single match in the World Cup devastating the squad to the point where you you know the France game in particular in, in 2015 where we put in one of our all-time best performances in a World Cup match and lose five front row players four through injury one through suspension for the next game which is the Argentina game and then they absolutely rip us apart now it wasn't just the injuries that ripped us apart I've definitely spoken to people who've said uh, our defence wasn't set up to defend the wide channels the way Argentina were going to score and rip us apart anyway so who knows maybe if um uh, all those players have been available we would have been grand but um, if if that was to happen in in this World Cup where it's it's possible that the match against South Africa is an absolute brawl from start to finish and the amount of bodies that are on the ground for the week after or the, or the 10, 12, 14 days afterwards is similar it feels a little bit like we're getting to the point where we might be able to have enough strength and depth just about to squeak through whatever comes after that. Am I wrong about that? Am I like that seems to be what they're doing here is that they're not making changes to see if you're good enough. You only get in when you're good enough that they're going to be sure about you and there's been enough injuries already for us to go actually you know there's probably about 28 29 players that we can reliably go yeah you can play in a World Cup quarter final and we'll be happy enough with you. Yeah, cuz like you like you want to deserve your your shot at playing and you don't want to just be rotated in like all the players that are getting their game time at the moment, you know, because other guys are injured, are deserving of that. And they're, they're obviously showing their hand to train. And I think you made an interesting point, actually, just about um, Ireland defending on those wider channels back in 2015. I think we're a lot more comfortable uh, defending in those situations now, which is great. So that might have been a factor. But yeah, I think, um, you know, um, we definitely have more depth. We... Um, there is more competition. You do want to give guys opportunity, and it's. I think it's a a fine balance of like like as we great like Ross Byrne this weekend. Like I hope he starts. I presume he'll start if if Johnny um can play. 
I don't think he's, he is playing. I'm not sure. But I think it'd be great for like the confidence of him because, you know, he'll be needed in a World Cup and he'll be needed to play in a World Cup at a, like highly pressurised situations. And I think it'll also be good for the confidence of the other team that they know that they can perform without Johnny. And I presume, I suppose, they're mentally tough enough and they're resilient enough to know this. But I think when they go and do it, maybe, you know, 80 minutes of the weekend or another scenario like that, it really builds that confidence. And I know that's kind of sounds very obvious, but um, I think that's really, really important. And I think we are a different team than we were um, back in 2015. Like at the weekend against France, like we scored from broken play. We scored from set piece. We scored from a goal line dropout. Um, we, you know, we can score, do that lovely tight work in around, you know, the likes of Andrew Porter getting over, we seem to have kind of added more strings for a bow. We're not just reliant on um, the same things. We're very varied in how we can score. And I think all players that are on the pitch, they're all able to do different jobs. They're all able to do the jobs, like, you know, forwards are able to play, make. We're, we're definitely more, um, what is the word I'm looking for? But basically what I'm trying to say is I think that any player that can come in can kind of do the job that the player before them um, could so it's not hopefully we're not too reliant on any one player obviously Johnny Sexton is world class and you kind of look at Hugo Keane and he's nailed on like who comes in for him if he would potentially you know not available or injured any, in any sense but I think we've got to that stage I think anyway It seems this this team Alison we've, we've already been talking about this team as, as one that seems to take the, the number one uh, slot in the world and the form that they're in with a pinch of salt and they move on and they're used to it and they can deal with it maybe better than previous Irish squads complacency is another thing as well that, that often was a, was a hallmark of, of teams that, that either lost to Italy or, or were pushed very close by Italy complacency does not seem to be an issue with this Irish team though No they seem like they seem just in a different place than they, they were previously and I know a lot of the players talk about it. it's a really enjoyable environment and I think um they look re- relaxed, but in, in a great, in the greatest sense of the word, you know, that they're enjoying their rugby. The competition among players um, is phenomenal. So that won't allow players to to be complacent. And I think, I think Andy Farrell, true to his word, I think he he rewards form, and I think that is a good way to set your team up because um, every player is in there on their toes and that doesn't allow for complacency in a team because I think, and it's no disrespect to Joe Smith, but I think he had his tried and tests that he always, he went to each time. And um, that I think can sometimes lead to a bit of complacency because I'm going to play, you know? So I think um, they seem to be comfortable. They just seem to be comfortable in the processes that they're doing. Like, you know, this is how we play. Like the defense against France was so disciplined Um you know, everyone stuck to their system, you know, knowing the right time to try and rob a ball, not to rob a ball, you know, keep that line integrity, keep their spacing, um, just looked really good and that discipline that everyone can do that. So um, I think they're just really enjoying their rugby and I think it seems to be a really good culture, really good atmosphere in there that would make a massive difference to a team performing. It seems like, I don't know, it sounds a bit cheesy, but they all seem happy in there and I think that. If you're enjoying your rugby and you're playing good rugby, I think everything comes a lot more easier. And, you know, they're handling that pressure well. And I think that was one of the things that came back from the 2019 World Cup that kind of mentally failed. Um, so 
obviously that's something that's been worked on like over the last few years. Can I talk to you a little bit about the, the Munster fans' backlash against uh, Scott Penny being named in the squad? Um, I, I I don't want to just dismiss it as provincialism and like there's definitely people who you would want to listen to saying that they're concerned about how um, Scott Penny being selected might have an impact on people's willingness to support the team. It's, it's a big leap, right? And I, I definitely don't agree with it. You know, I, I think that surely the Irish selectors at this point have a track record of picking players from the bench at international at, at um, provincial level and putting them in the team. Treadwell's got got called back up, for example, after you know not being anywhere near the squad and then being in the team and then not being anywhere near the squad again. And we're like, well, you know, I, I trust them now because they put him in the team and he played really well in um, New Zealand. And likewise, Jameson Gibson Park came from the bench at Leinster to be one of the best scrum halves in the world. So I just think that if they decide that Penny is somebody they want in the squad, then fair enough. But I, the Munster fans have, have had a backlash against this, um, saying that, you know, it's dispiriting for the Munster players who are playing well and who are playing in the Champions Cup uh, when Penny has literally played, I think, you know, a, a short period in the second half off the bench against Racing, and that's his, the sum total of his experience. Is there anything to this? Um, I suppose, like, you know, they, they can, they're entitled to, to feel what they feel, but I think every decision that, and nearly every decision Andy Farrell has has decided, like the Jemison Gibson Park has worked out, and they're obviously seeing something there that will fit into their system and the way that they're going to play and that. Because often, like, you know, you look at combinations of players, it's it's also combinations that work and who's right for the team and, and the different scenarios. So, like, they're obviously looking at him and saying he's going to fit into our system, he's going to fit into the way that we want to play. He's an asset in some, some scenario. So, like, you've just got to back the, you know, Andy Farrell and the coaches there that they're making the right decision, like... um and, you know, I think they will pick the best players. You know, if a team is doing very well, it's easier for um, players to get selected. But I think every decision that he's made so far has generally been the right one. So I think time will tell and we'll just have to see what happens. It, it, I mean, I, I don't think... I don't know. I, I think, like, if Paul O'Connell felt there was somehow a bias against the province that he comes from, he'd have been fighting the corner for the individual. I don't, I don't feel like it's credible to suggest that, um, you know, just because you're a Leinster player, it automatically puts you ahead of players in other provinces. I think it's, this has to be a case-by-case basis, and they've obviously seen something they like. But, it, I mean, let's face it, he, he's going to be holding tackle bags this week in training. Very unlikely he's going to get any match day action. So I'm just surprised that there's such a been, been such a backlash against it. Yeah, I suppose, you know, that Irish team, like there is a huge like portion of Leinster players and that's just the quality that they are. Like they're, they're really, really good players playing a really good team. And I think maybe that's where the backlash is coming. Yeah, I like, you know, he's been brought in there to soak up whatever he can and learn and he's been brought in there for a reason. And like, yeah, like he's not been up on the feature. So I'm not sure what the backlash is. I think... They're obviously feeling maybe that, like, do you know, there is big talk at the moment for inclusion of Gavin Coombs because he's playing so well. Like, so is that something maybe that happens this weekend? I don't, I don't know. Like, does he come in on the bench or because he is playing very well? But um, look, there'll always be a bit of divisiveness about certain selections and 
I suppose, in Munster for so long, were the dominant province in Ireland and had that initial success. So, um, but like even just look at like Leinster at the weekend, you know, even though they weren't extremely impressive with all the guys gone for Six Nations, they still just can comfortably, you know, win games. So, um, I suppose maybe it's just, it's, I don't know, you know, what could, what can you say really about that? Alison, Chair mentioned Jemson Gibson Park there. Like, it's amazing how uh, quickly things can change in two games, but all of a sudden, has Conor Murray turned the, turned the tide completely in terms of that scrum half pecking order? Like I think, like I think Conor Murray did really well um, against France, and I thought he played well. I think he's a different type of player than Jefferson Gibson Park. Um, he's taken his opportunity because of the injury. Um, I thought he played well, even in he had a very difficult week personally, and he played really well. I thought he looked more like himself of old. I thought for quite a long time he looked zippy, like his tempo. Um, he was moving around the park. I just thought, I don't necessarily know. Like, I think he's in there now and he's going to try and hold on to it. And I think depends, you know, when Jefferson Gibson Park gets back. Like, you know, they are two different players. Conor Murray is very good at controlling games and he's an intelligent player. He's a huge experience. Um, and he plays in a different way. Um, but he's going to be there now. He's going to back himself to hold on to that position. I think... If he continues his form, I mean, he'll back himself to to hold on to it. But um, let's see how he does this weekend and the following games and when Gibson Park gets back. But two different players, they bring different things. Um, You know, it might be the fact that you bring on Colonel Murray off the bench to try and control a game if you're you're in a certain scenario. But, um, like... Jemison Gibson Park obviously has a very good relationship with, with uh, Sexton and the speed of ball that he produces and that quick rock ball that he, he tries off, you know, gets Ireland playing. I think Ireland have become a really skillful team and a really fit team. And I think they're looking to, to play that real like high tempo ball and play. I think the ball was in play for something like four to six or seven minutes at the weekend. So um, I think Murray looked, um, he looked better at the weekend than I've seen him in a, like a long, long time. But probably not giving a straightforward answer there. Uh, the point about the ten, right? You expect Ross Byrne to start, but who's on the bench? Because they they bring Joey Carby back, and they've invested a lot of time and a lot of efforts into making Joey Carby the natural successor to Sexton. Then they've given him the kick up the ass. Is this a recovery? You stick him on the bench and you see what happens, like, or are you saying no? We need to see a bit more from you here. Off you go. Well, I would think we just like. I would be a fan of Carberry, but if you've just been called in because of injury and you've got Crowley there and you've already got Harry, or sorry, Rossburn um, there, I, I would think it would be Crowley on the bench. Like, uh, you know, I don't think what's he done in one, well, he's obviously played very well for Munster, but I think that would be my thinking that, you know, he's in there now and he's, he's you know, he's getting back into the flow of things with the team, but I, I would have Crowley there. And, and like, I am a big fan of um Carberry, but I think I would think that at this stage that they would have Crowley on the bench but I could be wrong Alright Alison great stuff thanks a million for joining us cheers thanks guys bye bye it's Alison Miller giving her uh, some thoughts on that the um, Penny so it, essentially right the uh, debate was down to 
this comment here. Uh, Patrick Kyle says, Penny doesn't start for any other province. This is the reason fans in the other provinces have stopped going to games. Players in form are being ignored over squad players in Leinster. Uh, it's obviously a view that is widely held enough for people to be expressing it on social media and in our comments because you know Patrick's not the only person who said it I'm just not convinced that it stands up to scrutiny like it's Mm. the same situation where Treadwell isn't starting for Ulster but he does a job that they need and they put him in the team does Tom O'Toole start every game? I'm I'm not sure like he might be closer to first choice but like Keen Healy doesn't start every game and you're oh it's a specialist position but like I think they, they see Penny in a specialist position as the open side flanker and the natural successor to Josh van der Fleer and so their job it looks like is going to be to take this team through from this World Cup hopefully through a Lions tour and onto the next World Cup and if they're thinking I'm going to put Scott Penny in now and maybe it's a kick up the ass for Hodnett yeah and maybe they don't think Hodden's ever going to make it to that level because let's face it there have been loads of players who come through at Munster and and other provinces and at Leinster who have shown some promise and then disappeared um, I, I just am very surprised by the, the the backlash to this I think it's completely rational that a player might not fit in at their province in terms of style all of the time and yet Andy Farrell might spot something that he thinks well that that fits in with what I'm doing here like the, the, the style of play with Ireland doesn't have to be the same as Ulster or Connacht or Leinster or Munster style of play. Like there, there can be differences, and players might might not fit in at the province any given week. Like I think it's it, in it, any other sport, this wouldn't be queried. It's also the track record of picking people and going, "Okay, you're not first choice, but we're going to put you in." Like I mean, I, I, in a way, I think we were surprised that Murray was considered the automatic replacement for Gibson Park. Yeah, but not in their minds. There was clearly no doubt. Like there'd just been that. That bit recently where Munster hadn't picked him in a game, and everyone was like, "Is that was he being rested? Is this part of his minutes, or what's the story? Is there a new pecking order in Munster and Ireland?" Are like, what are you talking about? This guy's like centurion, yeah, Lions tourist, multiple times. He's our guy, and then he re- 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 uh, repays them. And like, if they were truly anti the other provinces, Finley Beelan wouldn't be getting a look in, like. Yeah. They wouldn't have put Bundy on the bench when he wasn't playing for Connacht. They would have said, oh, sorry, you can't get in the Connacht team. You're not going on the bench. Like, I don't think Andy Farrell cares what colour jersey you're wearing. At not, level. not a jot. Can you do the job? Yes or no? Treadwell, like we were all, really, he's going to be in the team? He's going to play? That's a guy, guy can't be the case. Can it? And then he plays and he plays brilliantly. And they're like, you guys seem to know a little bit about what you're doing here. Mm. But no, Scott Penny seems to be this lightning rod. Um, like, oh, what should be a really brilliant day for him. Like, I don't know. I think Andy Farrell has earned the trust of the Irish fans at this point. So I think wind your neck in there, lads. But yeah, whatever decision he's he's making, I think we we can we can safely say he's doing the job well. We can maybe relax a little bit and keep our opinions to ourselves. We're not at the IRFU High Performance Centre in Abbottstown. We don't get to see them training. We don't know who, who's playing well, who's not playing well. What Andy Farrell and Simon Easterby and the rest of the coaching team are thinking. We just don't have a clue. So let them at it. Right, 25 minutes past 8 this morning. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number, or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. It is one of those special, magical Anfield nights tonight as Real Madrid roll into town, the Champions League music players. And Jurgen Klopp is uh, fresh from the fever dream of having beaten Newcastle at the weekend and then brought himself crashing to earth by watching last season's Champions League final again on video. Mark Lawrenson, a video nasty for Jurgen Klopp to inspire him and the team, apparently. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they feel aggrieved, don't they? I think um, 
they deserved to win that night. If it wasn't for the goalkeeper, for the Madrid goalkeeper, they, they would have won. Sometimes, as we know, in finals, the best team doesn't necessarily win win the game. So, yeah, I think this is the season tonight, isn't it? This this game and the one uh, when they play in Madrid are basically Liverpool's season. So, be interesting to see. As you know, the atmosphere will be red hot. Um, but it's Madrid and, you know, they're used to it. They're used to coping, going wherever they play around the world and, and you know, the home team wanting desperately to beat them. We've seen Real Madrid over the last couple of seasons buy all the best young talent in the world, apparently, and um, and start to put it in the team so that their legendary midfield trio has already broken up. Casemiro has gone to Manchester United oh. and we're seeing the other two spend a little bit less time and you're like, oh, that's a very well-run club. And then, out of nowhere, Bacetic comes into the team and at 18 is Liverpool's best player and suddenly the fear like three weeks ago four weeks ago was oh they've got nothing coming through and they're going to have to spend hundreds of millions to get um, whoever Bellingham and whoever else will, will yeah. make them recover there was for the goal and it doesn't show up on the highlights but for the, for the first goal against Newcastle there's a turn that Bacetic does that like creates all the space and then he yeah. just looks up and pings the ball and the goal is on straight away just from the shimmy yeah. of the hips, and it seems really basic stuff, but it was beautiful. Yeah, he's a player, and I mean, I hate to go a little bit early with when you see young players come in the team because there's always, there's always like you know they, they get to a crest and then they drop a little bit and then they come back. But um, he's he's been outstanding, and as you rightly say, and I've I've been at all the last what five or six games since he started, and he's been outstanding, uh, and he has been the best player. Uh, so. It remains to be seen today what, what will happen. I think, obviously, he got Fabinho back at, at the weekend. Henderson's in there as well. And it's an area where you, you need all that experience. But but Pachetic, most definitely, because he's different. And as you rightly say, he's, he's done that on a few occasions with his turn and everything. And, and people have bought it, playing against him in midfield. And it's, it's made all the difference. He'll put his foot in as well. I mean... I think his first two games, if my memory serves me right, he got booked, but he got booked early on in the game. You're thinking, oh, oh, another, you know, makes a mistake with one of the tackles and he loves a tackle and, and he gets a yellow and he's gone, but he seems to be able to manage it. And it's a classic case of he's just got no fear at the moment. He probably goes home after training every day and says, well, this is easy. Well, I should have done this two years ago when I was a real kid. How important was the identity of the goal scorers at the weekend, Mark, considering the, the gravity of the game tonight? Like, to see Gakpo and Nunez getting the score sheet, remains yeah. to be seen whether Nunez's shoulder is OK for tonight, but we'll, we'll see this evening. But for both of them to get on the goal the goal sheet, a little bit of confidence will do them no harm? Yeah, well, so that's two and two for Gakpo, wasn't it? So it's, that's good for him. And I think the goals were, were very similar, as everybody appreciates. And look, you know, it's, it's something we've been missing, the fact that we... When you don't play particularly well, you kind of you you look after the ball a little bit more, as in you don't you don't want to give it away because you think, oh, here we go, give it back to the opposition, etc. And and for once, we've actually really started to look forward and look. And we certainly looked in behind uh, Newcastle at the weekend and and basically cut them to ribbons. So it'll be interesting if we can do that tonight, but. The confidence is now high with, with those two. I think Nunez will play. I'd be very, very surprised if he doesn't. I think he just fell on his shoulder. I don't, after a bit of treatment and everything, he's probably got some soreness, but it, surely you'll think he'll be desperate to play. And, um, you know, we know he's lightning quick and it'd be good that he does start to test test Real Madrid at the back. So, yeah, it's a, it's amazing, isn't it? A, a, couple of, a couple of decent results. They were 
they're okay against Everton. Um, they're a poor side, as we know. But two results and the, and the place looks completely different. The news now that, you know, FSG aren't going to sell um, as well. So it'll be absolutely banging tonight in that stadium. It is the season. Uh, maybe it's less now the season than it was before because there's still a, a strong possibility that they go on a run and, and they can finish top four. But um, if they were to beat Real Madrid, then the possibilities are really endless for this year. Yeah. It's a big if, though, isn't it? Um, because you're always aware that... I mean, they basically played... last two games, they were decent against Everton and they were good against... Newcastle, but this is a team who obviously all knew they were going to play in a final this coming weekend. And, you know, if you, if you drop off 5% in, in the Premier League, we've seen what happens. So, yeah, it's, it, it's, you're looking at it now and you think, look, if, if they can continue this form and, you know, make it even better, they might get a chance top four. But I think we need to wait a little bit because they've had a couple of false dawns as well. And, and we still look like we could concede. Uh, I mean, the way that Newcastle started at the weekend, they, they, they could have had a couple of goals so before we'd even really got started. So um, we'll, we'll wait and see, but the signs are good, aren't they? Green shoots of recovery, maybe. Yeah, yeah it's, a fair, it's a fair way of putting it. I, I was going to bring up the chances that Newcastle had and like at, at their absolute peak when they were winning the league with 100 points or whatever, uh, mm. a million goals, Like they were always playing a high-wire act, the, the high line, and Alisson was frequently making a number of brilliant saves. So, like, that is kind of part of the Liverpool DNA, is that they will concede chances, but they're going to be difficult chances, and, you know, it's going to take world-class finishing from uh, Vinicius Jr. or whoever else. Yeah, um, problem is problem is, you might get that, might you, with, with Madrid. Um, I think, we're generally, I think, Word's gone out with all the other teams, certainly in the Premier League, which is that, you know, have a real go at Liverpool. And the problem has been the fact that generally the kind of midfield three haven't really protected the back four. And that's made them a little bit open. And that's why they've conceded lots of chances. And I mean, you know, as, as, as good as the result was against Everton, which is always good when you beat, beat them in the derby, don't forget Tarkaski, you know, Six inches, and and they, Everton were one nil up, and obviously we scored from the breakaway. But um, so it's it's always those little little finer moments in games that define the, the ultimate outcome with me. So we'll, we'll just wait and see, and because I, I, you know, I'm I'm a little bit going tonight to work, and I'm thinking I'm also a little bit prepared to think that this this might be a really big task, uh, and it'd be really interesting to see if if they're up to it. Is it still a concern, Mark, that that Jurgen Klopp doesn't seem to know his best starting eleven? Like I, I know, look at you, the likes of Kanata has only played what five games this season in the league, and mm. Jota hasn't scored since last April. But aside from players being out of form, he, he still doesn't know his best eleven. Is that a fair fair assumption? Um, I, I think I think he does now. Um, so obviously, availability is, is always the key. I think as soon as Kanata's fit, he gets slotted back in. Uh, Joe Gomez has done okay, um, but he generally makes a mistake a game. He, I, I think he seems to lack a little bit of concentration to, at times. It's, it's no shortage of ability, but that seems to happen with him. It'll be better, obviously, playing alongside Van Dijk. So Kanate would be in, um, and probably Thiago would be in the team. I mean, F- Fabinho's 
the one because since he came back from the World Cup, um, he's been poor in all honesty. And I know that um, the family, they've just had a baby and, and that, and maybe maybe he's had some late nights or, or, or whatever, whatever it is. He was a little better on Saturday, but I'm still looking at the game and I'm thinking in midfield is just absolutely, totally the key today because... Um, if Madrid play well, they'll keep the ball and they make it extremely difficult for Liverpool. I think he does know his best eleven now after the last two weeks. Yeah. I think Henderson is going to start. I think Fabinho is going to start. I think Batch is going to start. And then the front three is the front three now. Mm. That's it. That like yeah. those, he's going to give them a run of ten games and see how they go. I would say so, absolutely. And as I say, as soon as Canati's fit, I think they'll get him back straight back in. And hopefully, you know what it's like, guys. I was listening to you there talking about the, the rugby and everything and. Um, you know, it's all about momentum at that level because everybody's got the ability. There's no doubt about it. And obviously, once you get the momentum and you get and the confidence and consistency, and you've got really good players, you start winning games. What whatever sport it is, is that a real thing, Mark? Is that something that you, you certainly notice in your own career? Momentum as a as a yeah. tangible thing that that helps. Yeah, ab- absolutely, because. You know, I mean, if you get momentum and you, you start playing well and you start winning games, if you've got outstanding players, and dare I say, it, the, the game can become quite easy and you've got, you know, fantastic confidence. And you've got, when you've got really good players, you're all very comfortable on the ball. It, it doesn't half make a difference. And it, it also, what it does is it kind of, it gives you this feeling of not that, not that you're, um, you know, you're brilliant or anything like that, but you just, you just know with the consistency and the form that with the players you have in the team, you're going to win a majority of games. And sometimes you, that's where you go on these big long runs of, you know, fifteen, twenty games unbeaten. Can I ask you about um, uh, the reemergence of Rafa Benitez over the last five, six weeks? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can. He's made Put a... his head above the parapet. Good old Rafa. Yeah. Yeah, there's a big piece in the London Times today remembering when he beat he he beat Real Madrid and remembering when uh, Sergio Ramos used to tell him stuff and how he met uh, Bacetic's father uh, out in China and it's basically like a, a Forrest Gump style uh, all the key moments of history and I don't want to diminish his, his time at Liverpool as, as manager no. um, but like it's been it has become known somehow that of all of the jobs in the Premier League that might become available, the one that would interest him the most is the West Ham job. Um, now, certainly he hasn't, hasn't denied this, and I suspect maybe there's an agent somewhere trying to chisel him in, but it seems a little bit... Um, I don't know. Does it it doesn't, doesn't seem entirely kosher. I'll tell you what it is. Rafa, Rafa's bored, and he, he obviously wants a job. His, his missus, I mean, you know, because in all the jobs that he's had in the last few few years... That his wife and the two kids have never moved. They still live on the on the Wirral, which is you know you go through the Mersey Tunnel to get to, to Liverpool from from the Wirral. And 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 the deal has always been that you know look we're not moving the kids. Uh, the, the, you know they're at school, all those kind of things. And and Rafa's gone and done his thing. I mean he went he went to China for for God's sake. Who would want to go and manage in China? I know that the money's fabulous, but not not for me. So. I think he's just is is at that time now. I'm in the Leeds job, maybe come up. He might have a chance with that. So now I just think it's I think it's timing. It's like oh, do just remember me. Remember what I did, and um, he won't be short in telling people what he's done. But you know, he um, is a, is a really nice bloke. But he he wants a job, doesn't he? Basically, is is the bottom line. 
But isn't David Moyes the best man to take West Ham through to the end of the season? He's the one with the relegation battle experiences. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm obviously biased because he's my pal. So um, yeah, he, he absolutely totally is, and I don't um, I don't think I don't think he's under any great pressure from the hierarchy, of which which obviously they, they lost uh, one of the guys the other week, didn't he? Unfortunately, who passed away. But yeah, I think I think David Sullivan is very much in a, in Moses' corner, and obviously they need to win some games. And I'm not. I've been really surprised that they have not. Really, I thought they start to pull away, but it's certainly not been that way. But yeah, he's is. Listen, I'm, I, he was. He's a firefighter, isn't he? Basically, in, in in football, and he makes the team very difficult to beat. But obviously, at the weekend to be beaten by Tottenham was 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 a poor result for him. But they probably had a little look. The owners probably had a little look around at who they could possibly get if if the situation got worse. And he's probably looking around and thinking. Well, actually, what West Ham need is David Moyes. It was a bit like when Sam Allardyce was there and he left. And, and it was like, well, what they actually need was Sam, Sam Allardyce. I mean, obviously completely different. But, yeah, I, I, I think he'll be fine. He'll just, he'll just get his head down and work even harder. But uh, they need something and they need to start soon, definitely. We're guilty, I think, Mark, sometimes in the media and certainly football fans as well of, of maybe thinking of uh, football managers as maybe not humans with, with actual human emotions. Like, how does, yeah. how does David deal with, with pressure like this when people are talking about the, <clears throat> the sack race and the, the relegation battle and all that? Does it get to him or, or is, he, no. is he well capable of coping with it? No, he doesn't change. It, it, in, it, in fairness to him, he doesn't change whether they've won six or they, they, they've lost six. In, well, I want to say that he probably works even harder if, if they've lost six. No, he's just a, just a real football, football man. He's not really got anything else in his life. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. Um, and he's just... He, he, he lives very close to the, uh, to the ground um, and he basically spends nearly all his day at the training ground all these day planning plotting coaching cajoling whatever you want to call it and his his work ethic is as good as it was it's up there with Fergie and you know preparation all those kind of things but he he, he needs a bit of a break at the moment so hopefully he'll get one but you're right you know you, you need when you when you're struggling down there you, you need scrappers and you need scrappers in your team and you need a manager who's, who's obviously extremely driven which he is Declan Rice was kind of uh, less than I don't know. Maybe maybe we over read too much into this. He was saying the five at the back and three in midfield left the two strikers isolated. Maybe that's just a good tactical analysis of what they did, and and yeah. we should expect that. Or the way it's being sold is oh, Rice is unhappy at the tactics, and um, you know he's got a re- got a great relationship with with Declan Rice, but I think everybody knows that Declan's going in the summer. Um, where he goes to, and and you know wh- whatever he does, obviously that that's down to him. But they, they I think they're looking around already. Um, and in all honesty, if you if you were looking around for a similar type of player, you'd be looking at Man City and you'd be looking at Phillips, wouldn't you? Um, who obviously doesn't get anywhere near the team. And you know, if you're talking over a hundred million for Declan Rice, you might get Phillips for 40, 40 mil um, and another couple of players. So. He's always been good at that, Moses, he's, he's, and he's improved players and sold them on. His record at Everton with, with buying players and selling them was is actually, when you look at it, is incredible and, and the amount of money he made for the football club. So, 
yeah, I think I think I think Declan Rice will be gone in the summer, and and obviously somebody will come in. It, it had to, you know, it might need two players to come and take his position, which which happens at club because he's at club. Sorry, because he is that good a player, Rice. All right, we'll leave it there. Enjoy the game tonight, Mark. Thanks a million. Will do. It's Mark Lawrence in there, off to Anfield this evening for a big European game. Real Madrid doesn't get any bigger. Cracking atmosphere. I'll tell you what about the European games as well. I saw a, a notice from one of the Manchester United fan groups calling for Thursday night Barcelona the music to be turned off at Old Trafford 10 minutes before kick-off at half-time and full-time, which they did before Man City apparently and added like unquestionably to the atmosphere. So right. turns out turning off music and letting the fans do their own singing works. So Aviva Stadium, take note. That's interesting. Uh, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off The Ball. Braeburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green store near you with new Braeburn locations popping up every month. Visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn, B-R-A-E-B-U-R-N, to find your nearest Braeburn coffee experience. It is 8.42. John Duggan is with us this morning. John, you have been uh, correcting the lads' incorrect lists from earlier on. Well, I've picked my Tottenham uh, top 10 of the Premier League era, and it's very hard as an Irishman and as a dub to leave Robbie Keane out, but I've done that because you've got to be a pro when you're picking these things, and... uh, such a great servant for the country and for the club. But most of the thinking around my team is built around the fact that under Pochettino, Spurs had the best team since the 60s. So what, fifth, third, second, third and fourth, the Champions League final in there as well in 2019. And that second place finish in 2017 had 86 points, which would have been good enough to win nine Premier League titles since the Premier League came into being 30 years ago. And Spurs have only won two League Cups since the Premier League began. So that if they'd won some Europa Leagues, FA Cups, you might include the likes of Teddy Sheringham or Jermaine Defoe in there. But most of my team is based around that um, team in the Pochettino era. Where did you two have Robbie Keane? I had Robbie uh, fairly high. I think he number eight. Yeah, number sorry, number nine. nine. And did he make columns? He made columns at number eight. And not in John Duggan's top ten. No. Uh, so my uh, you can expect some, um, pressure. some frosty messages. Well, yeah, they're, they're probably saying, "Oh, you're just a Clare lad." Um, so, uh, so to- Toby Alderweireld, number ten, uh, always had issues Spurs historically with defence, but uh, Alderweireld rocks out with the Anna Vertonghen at 236 appearances. Um, and look how, how well big an influence he was for Belgium as well. Number nine, Luka Modric, one of the key drivers of Spurs, uh, becoming a Champions League team for the first time under Harry Redknapp. But most of his best work as a footballer, as a world, one of the best players in the world, was done at Madrid. Um, so it wasn't really long enough at Spurs to kind of get a higher rank for me. Number nine. Uh, that's going to be controversial, you know, that. Yes. They, the lads have Modric in their top threes. He's number two for me, John. Yeah, I just didn't, like obviously one of the best players in the history of the game in the last uh, generation, but not at Tottenham. Um, How long was he at Spurs? Four, four years. Four yeah. years long enough. No. Yeah, but um, once again, I'm, I'm, my my thinking's really based around the, this Pochettino team. Uh, David Ginola, number eight, scandalously won that um, PFA Player of the Year award in 1999 when Man United did the treble. There was a goal against Barnsley in that in that that year in the cup, which was just off the scale in terms of slaloming through players and uh, and and scoring. And that year he had what ten assists. So, look, he he's a Spurs player that played the way that Spurs uh, fans think the game should be played. The game is about glory and it's about a bit of panache. Well, uh, he was only ninety seven to two thousand. I was going to say he wasn't there that long either, was he? No, um, happiness. So he's number eight. But he's the epitome of the way Tottenham uh, should play in inverted commas. Jan Vertonghen, number seven, club legend, 315 appearances, 145 for Belgium, says a lot as well. I like, remember him starting off at left back, but then transitioned into the centre and was such a rock solid player. And once again, Spurs have had like poor defenders in, in many years. Are, are Vertonghen and Alderweireld not just 
the same. Grant. <laughs> no, I, are I, they not just Grant? Like you, you, you do have. Oh, we, we'll get to Lenny King. I noticed Saul Campbell is missing. Yeah, and there's nothing to do with the fact that he's um, a Judas um, that went to Arsenal. Um, it and, obviously is, though, right? Because <laughs> he <was, laughs> he's way better than these two. That's a fact. I, I, I really don't see it that way. I, I really yeah. see the Vertonghen and, and Aldo Vireld were like the players who you know were very close to the top of the world in Belgium. They got to semi final of a World Cup, narrowly beaten by France. And these you know, 86 points, rock solid defence. Never lost a game over hard lane that 2016 17 season. And the Tottenham of that three, four, five years is far superior than the Tottenham at any other time in the Premier League. And that's my thinking here. And number six, Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, so the Premier League now a global league. And he was one of the first players that brought the novelty and the stardust. And Spurs were so bad in the 90s that they needed Klinsmann. Uh, to get them in uh, in 98 for half a season to save them from the drop. He scored four goals in one game against Wimbledon. But in the first season in 94-95, he scored 20 Premier League goals in 41 games. Remember there was a game against Liverpool in the Cup quarterfinal. The ball was straight through to him and just buried it. Like, just what a deadly finisher, a World Cup winner, as we know. I think I think Klinsman definitely has this kind of weird impact where it's it's way out of kilter with the amount of time that he spent there. Yeah. Uh, and cause it's funny that Modric is nine and Klinsman is six even though Modric was there four, like essentially four times longer. Okay, the, seconds, the second coming probably uh, helps the grandfather Klinsman in a little bit further, but I think, um, I don't know, Modric, be- Modric seems to become world-class at Spurs. I'm, I'm lobbying here for you to make a change. Yeah, it's like, uh, what's it, the Dublin and Matt Rushmore. Uh, <laughs> Christian Eriksen, number five, like he pulled the strings. He's the most creative player we've had since Gascoigne. 305 appearances, 69 goals, 90 assists, the best playmaker at the club uh, in, in recent times. Uh, Hillman son, number four. Look, it's now a global league and you wouldn't see Hillman son out of place at both Man City and Liverpool. Mm. That's why he's so high for me. Uh, 139 goals in 355 games. Won the joint golden boot uh, last year. Plays with a smile on his face once again. I think really part of the club's DNA and is very much loved by the club. And I, these kind of things are important in terms of where you're ranking. It's not always just about the exact talent. It's also about what they mean to the club. Uh, Ledley King, if he needs that worked, he would have been the best centre half in English football since Bobby Moore. Um, never trained. Uh, a bit like Paul McGrath. Turned up. Missed, missed like three or four seasons in a row with chronic injuries. Uh, but it was part of that uh, team that reached the Champions League uh, for the first time under Harry Redknapp, captain the team that night when they beat Man City in 2010. And uh, 322 appearances. And also, once again, important for me, he's a one-club man. Um, so I think that's why he's such a, such a high rank for me. I don't think probably many people would disagree with the top two. Uh, Gareth Bale won PFA Player of the Year twice, 2011-2013, British re- record transfer fee in terms of the sale. Uh, they signed a load of duds out of it, uh, but the one good player they did sign was Ericsson. Um, but he scored incredible goals. He was unplayable. It's amazing the way he transitioned from a, a left-back who didn't win a game, I think, for two years into a player that was just utterly world-class. And then we saw what we did, we did with Madrid. Christian Ericsson, even though at the end he was basically like, no, I'm not having this anymore. I've had enough. I want to <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah. He, he gets forgiven for that? He does because of seven years. And uh, as I said, most of my... Saul Campbell, not forgiven. No, no, he's Judas. Uh, Harry Kane, um, number one, three golden boots, uh, 267 goals, now club record, surpassing Greavesy, uh, can play as a 10 and a 9, and he's worked so hard at this game, which I think is a bit underplayed when it comes to Harry Kane, club legend, and he's my number one. I'd, I'd be surprised, maybe people would argue for Bale, but um, I think that's a pretty solid number one. Colm wants you to... Uh, what about Jali Ali at one point? Would he have made your top 10? 
if Deli Ali had been the player uh, of 2016-17 for the last five years, um, absolutely. But unfortunately, it just all went so wrong for him. And maybe he's a just a warning sign. I don't know whether it was Jose Mourinho's warnings about his commitment or just that he, he, he was just one of these players that just really fitted into the system with Pochettino and he didn't fit into systems. He was a moments player and it just didn't fit with other clubs. But um, it's, it's a strange tale. It's one of the strangest tales of, of the recent era. But uh, Daddy, for a couple of seasons, was great. But I think you do need a bit of longevity. And I still talk about Christian Eriksen in seven years. And Teddy Sheringham seems to be one of the yeah. <clears throat> controversial absences based on the YouTube comments as well. From, from Actually, from all of our teams. Myself, yourself, and Colin. Well, once again, Teddy Sheringham was a really, really good player and also a Golden Boot winner, but in a team that was bang average. Um, so do, 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 would they be in a team that would be relegated by Adam? Um, we obviously saw what he went on to do at Manchester United. Um, but Teddy Sheringham also lacked a lot of pace. And when I'm looking at players like Son, would Teddy Sheringham get in the Man City-Liverpool team now, um, 30 years on or whatever? I'm thinking like Son would definitely get in, Kane would definitely get in. And I'm being quite—I mean, I'd be quite harsh in the likes of Jermaine Defoe and Robbie mm-hmm. Keane. But and two words for you, John, as well: Dimitar Berbatov. Yeah, well, there you go again. Dimitar Berbatov, another player who ended up at Man United and probably ended up having a better career at Man United after leaving Spurs. But you want a trophy? See, is that 08 League Cup? We, uh, because look, Tottenham don't win that many trophies, do we not have to put some weight on that year? No, I don't. Keane think so. and Berbatov. I think Tottenham uh, over the last 23 years have won two League Cups uh, between 61 and 84 I think they won what mm, we're talking about five FA Cups two European um, UEFA Cups a Cup Winners Cup and a League Championship mm. uh, so I, 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 I just really think it's a terrible return so therefore I'm looking very very uh, closely at the Pochettino era with those cr- incredible results in the league best team since the 60s and 86 points in the league which was unlucky not to win a title uh, unlucky slash choked we should not. Well, they choked the first year. They choked this 2016 year, definitely. But the 2017 year is just that they ran into Antonio Conte and uh, Diego Costa, who got 93 points for Chelsea. Ask John if Dembele was close to his list. Yeah, Dembele was definitely close. Very underrated uh, midfielder, once again, of the Poch era. Um, from Barry McConnell. Uh, Barry, yeah, it's just. Uh, you know, when you're thinking that Dembele is under. Like, he's, he was the Busquets of Spurs, right? Um, but um, when I'm thinking about. Like even Belgium, he wasn't breaking through in eighteen, and the kind of the kind of went against me, my thinking. I've got a, I've got an image in my head, John, of uh, Luka Modric hopping on the bus this afternoon in Liverpool, getting the the bus down to Anfield with the Real Madrid team, pops his earphones into his phone, sticks on the highlights from OTBAM. John Duggan has him ninth. Did you do the Man United team, uh, Shane? I did. Was Park G sung in it? <laughs> Park did not make my top ten okay. of the Premier League era, <laughs> but he was he was close. He was close. More of a cult hero. Oh. But, but Modric is more than a cult hero. Modric is... I, I just love, I love your confidence that Luka Modric would be listening to OTBA. <laughs> of course he is. Right. John, good All stuff. Right, thanks, lads. More from John on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk. It's 8.52. Tommy Rooney is with us. Tommy, good morning to you. Morning, Jer. Morning, Shane. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very well. Uh, we're not doing the power rankings this week. No. Okay, we, we can't be doing it every week. I think we, we can't can. be doing it every week. I think we no. should open this. I think we should ask the public what they want. Do we want to no. do the power rankings every week? They're supposed to. They're supposed to bob up and down because otherwise you're just going to have yeah. Kerry one, Dublin two, the whole season until they meet in the Ireland final, and there's nothing to talk about. That's not what necessarily. Got to give no, the public what they want, Tommy. During the championship, I'm happy to flip flop uh, a bit more, but during the league, lads, I just think we need a bit more, uh, a bit more to go off, a bit more evidence. Oh, the league is the league's taking on more importance, though, Tommy, isn't it? 
Jane Monaghan wouldn't be moving and Clare wouldn't be moving either, Jer. <laughs> well, ah, good win for Monaghan. Is it because Mead would have moved down? Is that why you didn't want to do it? Maybe. No, not at all. I, I actually feel very uncomfortable having Mead where I do. Where I do you have them? Um, are Mead 14th? Right. Yeah. No, Mead are 13th. Yeah, I feel uncomfortable because I had Mead at 15th early on. They were start- Obviously, they were starting from a low base um, from where they ended last year. And... You know, you could see it was great to get the two wins. Me, people had the chest out. Uh, we were, they were a bit louder on social media. But you could definitely see that there was a rawness to this team. And that was absolutely uh, proven on Saturday night. It was like um, under nines against a senior team Derry's, uh, at times. Derry's second, second goal. I, I don't know if, I, like, I thought it was beautiful. It was like a, maybe you can't appreciate it, Tommy, but it was like a... It was, yeah. There was a goal that Argentina scored against, I want to say, Yugoslavia in the World Cup. Was it the fourth no, Cambiasso one? There's like a thousand oh, yes. passes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And oh, there's yeah, a side yeah. foot into an empty net and you're like, oh my God, wow. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, there was just a bang of that. There was like Derry, side to side, side to side, pro, 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 bang. And well, that's that's an interesting point, Joe, because I think that illustrated the difference between the two teams. Derry knew how to strangle the life out of that game when Mead kicked a long ball. Now, Mead got away with it against Cork and they got away with it against Clare to an extent. I actually thought Clare might punish them a bit more uh, by kicking away possession because it's what Clare thrive on. Um, Cork are obviously on their own journey and they're just not there yet, but... Look, I do think Mead will get joy out of a bit more of a direct game. You saw the damage that Cork did against Dublin, going direct into the Cork full forward line to Hurley, and Chris O'Jones got a bit of joy early on. I do think that can work for Mead. I just think when the rain is raining like it was in Derry and Owen Begg, and you haven't got your two of your main forwards, you haven't got your main kicker in midfield, like try and hold on to possession a bit more. You've played that way for six years under McEntee. Just a little bit more of a marriage of styles. A bit smarter, a bit more smarts would have made a difference there. And coming up against Gallagher's Derry, who were one of the smartest teams going, um, it wasn't pretty to watch. I think there's a bang of Galway in their first season under Joyce, where it's like, it's going to be my way, old school. And then there'll be a come to Jesus moment where they're like, well, maybe we could do a little bit of everything. Possibly, although I don't know if you heard Colin Moore going with Tommy Tiernan on uh, Saturday night. But I did it's not. Well worth listening back to. Um, great chat. It's funny. He was a geography teacher back in the day, so there's a nice dynamic there. Um, Tommy opens the show by saying, Jay, did you ever think when you were kicking me out of class that you'd be sitting on my <laughs> show in about 20 years' time? But there, there's a, if you listen to Colin Moore and that, as a Mead person, it would give you a, a bit of hope that something will come from it because um, he takes his football very seriously without taking it seriously if you know what I mean so I think he could facilitate um, I don't know something fresh in that Mead panel like Mead have got coaches that were involved in the women's uh, rejuvenation in, in Shane Wall and Paul Garrigan Stephen Bray and uh, Barry Callan are really highly rated too so O'Rourke has quietly built a really good team around him and um, it's a very, very young me team. And that is why I wasn't getting my hopes up too high. Like, they're full backline lads. Flood, um, James O'Hare's played a couple of games, Adam O'Neill. Like, this is their first year. They're playing Division Two football for the very first time. And you're seeing it with Kerry. Like, Kerry had only five players started at the All-Ireland Final uh, at the weekend. An absolute shadow of the team we'd expect to see. Galway while it feels like they're making a lot of changes and they're missing really important players like Walsh, Comer and Finnerty, 
still had 10 players who started that final last year and they're getting a bit more out of the four or five lads they're bringing in and even the new lads they're bringing in it's Peter Cook and Ian Burke so they're able to ingratiate uh, the, the newer players like maybe Daniel Flaherty or even Owen Kelly who's playing inter-county football already for the first time they're able to um, integrate them a bit easier because they're playing with the main players and uh, established players yeah, okay, and I can see how it's very difficult to uh, make any changes to Kerry in the power ranking on the basis of what we're seeing at the moment because it's it's not the real. It's not Kerry. No. Yeah. Although it's interesting that they do look different when they start to bring the players back, even in the same game. Isn't it scary how different or how good Clifford looked compared to everyone else? And there was like. I was at Clare Kildare and I don't know how much you want to get into it, but there was a little bit of a bang of that off Daniel Flynn when he came on. Clearly wasn't fit. Like, nowhere near the power that you usually see Flynn um, showing in Croke Park when you could take on half the Dublin defence and put it in the top corner. But he was just, in that last 20 minutes, he was just operating on a different level to everyone else. Kicks a point off his left foot to equalise the game when he had no right to kick it. Um, Derek Kerwin won a brilliant mark, dropped it short, won the next ball, kicked it wide. Ben McCormick hit the post. Clare was six points down and they missed three shots in a row. Flynn gets his first touch and puts it over the bar. So I don't know, the, the difference between the very, very best in this sport and those that are very, very good can be quite stark sometimes. And I think we saw that at the weekend when David Clifford comes on, takes him three seconds, a hop, a skip, a bounce, and he puts the ball over the bar. And some of his points are freakish. And like, I don't really want to talk about Clifford because we're going to spend half the year talking about him. Ah, no, but we should. I mean, I think, I think actually... The difference. Yeah. Well, it's because it, it, it was um, Maradona against Belgium, that photograph at one stage where... <laughs> and then he just kicks it. And you're like, yeah. the super slow-mo. If the photographer was just in the right place, you would have been able to put that right beside the picture of uh, Maradona against Belgium and be like, yeah, this is what we're looking at here. This is the level of talent. Yeah. And, and the, hey, the, the same applies probably to Jack McCaffrey here. Like, I don't know. Um, it did the heart a bit of good, I think, just to see. And I don't know whether it was the boots, but how fast he still was. And this is somebody who hasn't played club football. He hasn't gone to Boston and had a summer of football. He's just been living life. And he still had that ability and that uh, pizzazz, Paddy Andrews described it as in the football pod this week, in his bones to just take on the cock defence and pop the ball over the bar. So that was quite scary to see. Uh, Tommy, a controversial moment, judging by social media, a controversial moment at the end of the Clare Kildare match. Emmett McMahon getting blown up for a for a double hop. I, 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 you couldn't well, see it in the shot. That the, this kick went over the bar, did it? So the double hop you're referring to happened in the first half. Okay, sorry, right, what, right. The controversial moment in Clerical there was... So I scratch my head now. Now, I have to put it on the record and say Colin Collins came out after the game and refused, like, he wouldn't engage in any questions about the referee. Uh, he blamed his own team um, for the manner in which they went into their shells when they were six points up. They didn't attack. You could hear Clare um, sideline roaring at the team to go forward. But it's that natural thing that where teams can sort of retreat into their shell when they're a man down and they're protecting the lead or a man up and they're protecting the lead. But Clare never looked like coming back into it, never looked like getting a goal. Uh, a bad hand pass goes to the Clare keeper. He slips, touches the ball on the ground, black uh, hand, ankle taps the Clare forward, black card, Emmett McMahon goes into goals. Um, he slips with his two kickouts. Clare retain possession on one. Clare go down and equalise. And then Clare have one more attack and come down the come down the right touchline and they're actually going for goal it looks like the Clare forward's going for Clare forward's going for goal even though a point will do and Pierce Lillis makes an unbelievable block but out of somewhere the referee gives a free I haven't seen the highlights I didn't see Teach Carr last night but I don't know how it was a free anyways McMahon's hop he missed it 
I, to be honest, there was a couple of odd decisions in that game, but like Kildare fans are tweeting me at halftime going crazy that the referee had completely ruined the game in them, uh, that he was giving everything to Clare. I didn't see it that way. He gave, I don't know. I don't know, Shane. Like, I just think refereeing is uh, an impossible job at the yeah. minute. Yeah. And I, like, I, the umpires aren't happening enough. Yeah. The umpires aren't happening enough. The linesmen sometimes help out, but sometimes don't. It's not to find enough. I just think it's nearly an impossible job at the minute. Kildare's start of the season was really bad in terms of the home defeat to Cork being so catastrophic in nature. It, was, it wasn't it was close. It wasn't a game. It was over at halftime. And there was hope that they were going to be able to use the opening performance against Dublin where we had expected Dublin to come out all guns blazing and it was tight and close. And um, Kildare took a, a little bit of comfort from the fact they were able to come back into the game against the Dubs. Uh, it turns mm. out everybody's going to be able to come back into the game against the Dubs I think this season that like uh, if Dublin are going to win this year they'll be squeaking it out down the stretch especially it appears in the league Ger, and potentially even in Leinster and Leinster matters less than ever before when you look at the way the, the All-Ireland set up this year like provincials actually don't matter um, with the All-Ireland round robin series that's going to take place and only four teams are going to be knocked out after the the 16 team groups the four groups of four only four teams are going to be knocked out so it's going to be a weird year but anyways uh, Dublin you're right teams are going to be in it but their last four scorers after Lee Gannon got sent off were Brian Fenton James McCarthy Conor Callaghan and Jack McCaffrey <laughs> so you know when they're all there together it's a pretty frightening prospect but Cork came right back into it that's the thing so uh, like they're relying on those players all of whom were the in the shout for player of the year four or five years ago, right? And, and three years ago. But at the same time, they haven't moved on. That next generation, that production line has stalled. And I'm not quite sure, Eamon Fitzmaurice was talking about, he wasn't quite sure about what the identity of the team was and they're not playing with smiles mm. on their faces. I think Jack McCarthy's going to put a smile back on their face. I think James McCarthy's going to put a smile back on their face too. And certainly, you know, it's, it's cavalry coming at an important time. But... Uh, Laro said the word has gone out in the Premier League you go at Liverpool and I think the word has gone out now you go at the dubs and particularly even if they get a lead on you you keep going against them because I don't know the the advantage that they had in pace and power and physique and like the game was over before you went out that's gone are you saying they're mentally weak is that what you're saying I'm not Okay. I'm saying that they're no longer 10 points up before the ball is kicked I like the sound of what you're saying, Jaron. I wonder when any intercounty managers listening in now roll a bit of laurel in the dressing room before a game to go at them, go at the doves. And I think, to be honest, I think you're onto something. Um, I don't know about the lack of smiles on the faces. Like, I have a question, given the the way the year is set up and how manic it's going to be in terms of the amount of games and the intensity of matches. I have a question over who is at uh, proper championship level yet James Horn had it in his column at the weekend that Mayo are already at a championship level condition I'm not sure if they are or not like we only really saw them in action for half an hour against Kerry and they completely tailed off in the second half I wonder have the Dubs just been going through an absolutely rotten training regime we didn't see Jack McCaffrey until the weekend like there's no way he wasn't ready to go a couple of weeks ago they were just putting the hard yards into him he did look fit Build, building did. Him, do you know what, do yeah. you know what I mean building yeah. them up uh, the and James McCarthy looked Mark, fit like McCarthy looked fit do you know and like they're going to get Paul Mannion back too Paddy Small is going to come back at some stage um, I do think the Dublin's level beneath those players for whatever reason the players maybe the, maybe the level was so high during the six in a row that nobody else that could have been good enough could get a sniff like 
maybe that level is just at a low bar and they, they aren't going to get any new players but hey if Desi Farrell comes through this league and he's discovered the fact that Jack McCaffrey and Paul Manning can still play it's no bad thing I know we're not dwelling on the power rankings I know we're not right but uh, down or ahead of Kildare down or 12 Kildare or 13 down just lost to Fermanagh down no no you're, you're looking at a mistake there it's a mistake down or 19 am I right in saying t- Monaghan 10 Roscommon 9 Donegal 8 was the last the last week, yeah, we got we got to move you got to move Monaghan and, and Ross Cameron above. You certainly got to move Ross Cameron above. Jamie Burke's a big story. No, off yeah, that's the story. Shane, 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 you're looking at a mistaken. Uh, okay, Oliver, week one. Apology, yeah, apologies, so, Tommy. So Monaghan are ten, Donegal are nine, Ross Cameron are eight. Fair enough. But Ross Cameron are going to move up. Like I'm looking at the bench. This is, and I'm not trying to g up. My housemate from Ross Cameron thinks I'm ging up. Tommy's shifting on easily here. Yeah. Well, listen. If you were the, if you were the full back, you'd be expecting a thump around the head around now, Shane. What? what? <laughs> I know. Yeah. But listen. Modern are playing Ross Common this weekend. I'm not trying to G them up, as my housemate thinks I'm trying to do this you week are. of all weeks. I, well, maybe a little bit I am, but... They, it's in Clonus, Shane. It's in Clonus, of course. Mon- Monaghan are fighting for their lives. Yeah, Monaghan need the points like, more than Ross Common. Monaghan have shown it over the last number of years that when they need to survive... They're the they cockroaches. Yeah, they are the cockroaches. I think Malachi Clerk and call them the cockroaches of Division 1. They, they will survive no matter what. But That's certainly a way of putting it. Look yeah. at the lads that came off the bench for Ross Common. Derek Craig, Connor Cox, Donnie Smith. The, the strength and depth, and sorry, the, the G and up that Davy Burke does on the sidelines... I really like this Ross Common team. I don't believe you. I think you've got a, a smirk that is just uh, no, way across your face. No, genuinely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look at um, Ross Common. I have an awful soft spot for Ross Common. I have Ross Common people tweeting me at the weekend. You know where are your power rankings now? Where do they want them to go? Like, like, um, well, higher than James Dunne. James Dunne, who said in the football pod this week, Ross Common are not going to win the All Ireland, and I couldn't help it. My eyebrows raised and Paddy Andrews what are you doing what are you doing raising your eyebrows Roscommon are not going to win the All-Ireland and they were absolutely adamant that Roscommon cannot win the All-Ireland I'm not going to say that okay but I I, 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 I don't know how high I'm putting Roscommon yet because I will put it on the record now that David Burke has done his job if he keeps Roscommon in Division 1 when Roscommon are playing Mayo seven days after the league final do they really want to be in a league final no, I, look, I, I think that um, that's clearly a, a problem with the scheduling of the league and the championship at the minute, and they need to work that out. But I, I would say that I, I don't think Roscommon are going to win the All-Ireland this year either. But I do think that we're getting to a point where Roscommon will give their fill of it to one of the teams we expect to win the All-Ireland. Yeah. If, if they were up against... Derry or if they're up against Galway and I'm talking out of out of Connacht so like uh, in an All-Ireland quarterfinal if they were up against Derry if they're up against Tyrone if they're up against the Dubs if they're up against Kerry I would expect Roscommon to be in the game with 20 minutes left to go now I would still expect Kerry and Dublin and Tyrone to be able to handle their business I would expect Galway to be getting stuck into some weird tribal nonsense that they don't fully understand and any random stuff could happen but like in a way that I would not say for most other teams, no, that's that's a fait accompli. We know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be a five to seven point victory and that five to seven point gap will open up in the first half and never get closed again. This team just looks a little bit dangerous. They've got a, a, a puncher's chance. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think that you're right. I think they will cause problems, especially uh, Mayo in that first game. Um, the round robin series will give them a chance to cause problems again. I... Uh, I probably just haven't seen enough for Roscommon yet to know what's different. Like, I know a lot of those lads and they've won a couple of Connacht titles and they've won Division 2 league titles. There's medals in their back pockets. They were quality underage and Roscommon have had this ability. And I think what they've done is there's been very, very little between the 10th best footballer in Roscommon and the 35th best footballer in Roscommon for the last 10 years. And I think what's happened is 
Davy Burke has come in and he started a blank slate and he's making them all fight for their places. And we're seeing Cox on the bench, Donny Smith on the bench, Murtagh's starting one day, Kieran Murtagh's not starting another day when he was captain before. And there's that little bit, little bit more of a genuine manager bounce that we're seeing now. And we actually are seeing that. But like they're going to clone us this weekend. And... Monaghan are fighting. Yeah, They're fighting for their lives. Like Armand went down there. Like Armand butchered chances. What is wrong with Tyrone? Tyrone were in command of that game the first day around. And there was common, I don't know, the crowd or something just dragged them over the line. They got three goals in the last 15 minutes. Big game. Uh, yeah. One last thing that I, I did want to ask, right? Um, there's still a quirk of fate where a good team from Division 2 through a bad run of results over the next three or four weeks could end up in the Talton Cup we won't know about that until obviously uh, the end of the provincial championships would yeah. it be a disaster for a good team to go through the Talton Cup and have the experience that Westmeath had or are the good teams too up their own holes to be able to get the benefits of the Talton Cup I think you're right I think you're spot on I think the traditional counties you might say you know traditional uh, they're too up their own holes to be honest um, I don't think Mead want to be in the Talchin Cup this year I really don't think Cork want to be in the Talchin I think those two teams have designs on year two of the project they're in of being good enough to be in Division 1 and stay in Division 1 and they, they want to replace say a Donegal or possibly a Monaghan at the minute they want to replace where Kildare have been that's where they fancy themselves and they see themselves um, I don't necessarily think it would be a good thing for Clare to slide into um the Talton Cup because they have operated in Division 2 for seven years they were a top 8 team last year um, they have a lot of young players breaking through they've won a Tommy Murphy Cup before don't think it did the county any good at the time they've been in Division 2 is what they need in saying that what Westmead got last year I truly believe they're the second best team in Leinster at the minute and that bounce in the Talton Cup gave it that so you know I it isn't a bad thing and I think a down could get a huge benefit from a Tatchin Cup run a Cavan when it looks like they may be um, resigned to play in the Tatchin Cup this year could get a good run there too so I'm not dissing the Tatchin Cup year I just think you're right I think some counties a little bit that they're too up their own holes the traditional counties maybe but it isn't really what's right for their progress right now OK uh, absolutely we want reactionary power rankings says Jamie Domican. Rory Larmer disgraced Domican. Dominican. That's a common name. Dominican. That's a common name. Yeah, a common name. <laughs> uh, I was Dominican. Uh, Jamie Dominican. Is that him? Am I doing him justice? That's a Rossi. That's a Rossi name. Yeah, it was a Peter Dominican a couple of years ago from Roscommon. Royal Armour. Disgrace. There's no power rankings. Ah, Monaghan. Uh, <laughs> Monaghan and Roscommon up one each. Donegal down two. Says Royal Armour. <gasps> Everybody wants this, Tommy. Everybody wants Donegal. This. Donegal down two. Like where are you putting Donegal? You're putting Donegal beneath Clare, who have lost two games, and Westmead, who are in Division Three. Like that, the power rankings are perfect. They're spot on. Roscommon. If Tyrone get relegated, Roscommon might go above Tyrone. But like, I don't see Roscommon going ahead of the 2022 Ulster champions Derry, who are in sixth place. I think we I just, just need to do these it. conversations every week and let let the, let the people decide. That's mm, all I'm saying. Okay. So, anyway, maybe all right. Tommy, okay. Uh, you, 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 see. You're too emotionally invested. You're attached to them. I am emotionally invested. It's important, lads. They it matter. Is, it is, but then they have to go up and down. Otherwise, they never change. Where's common? My sanity, my sanity matters too. Well, okay. That's, that's, that's an important call. Right. Yeah. The, book, the bookies have Roscommon 11th favourites to win the All-Ireland. 80 to 1. That's, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. 10 favourites? Uh, 10 favourites is Cork. They've Cork and Donegal ahead of them and Monaghan ahead of them as well. I wonder what Tyrone were after Kerry stuck the seven goals passing that Well, time. yeah. Yeah. That'd be exactly, that's a good out. point. 
Yeah, Tommy, excellent. Good stuff. Uh, football pod available wherever you get your football pods. The football <laughs> pod is out right now. Uh, Paddy's in Leuven. It's not Bruges, but it's just like it. He's in Belgium at the minute on a college trip. Uh, James was doing his homework this week. He's done a deep dive on the depth that's available to Park Joyce because that chase for squad depth is so important this year. Um, the lads give me their fill of it. There's a little bit of Paddy getting excited about the dubs being back. And uh, I asked the two boys the question that if there was a world where after two years of being in the football pod, they were to return to inter-county football, would they retain any of their pace? And they both agreed that they wouldn't. So, <laughs> see you later, boys. Thanks. The door, the door is shut. There you go. Uh, here's what's going up on OTV Sports Radio for you today. One o'clock OTV Gold is Wexford 56. Dadcast from three. A career retrospective with Jim Beglin at four. And John Malloy me Truby Walsh at six. And then Joe will be back with the show tonight from seven. Up next, Will O'Callaghan's Power Rankings. Some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. They'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Will O'Callaghan. Will, 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 will. Good morning to you, Will. An ominous introduction, Jar. I would have went with good morning, Will. That was but, insidious, you know, Good morning, yeah. Shane and Jar. How are you getting on, lads? Did you and your your colleagues slash teammates, did you start a beef with the football pod overnight? With the um, hurling pod, claiming that hurling is the one true sport, the only pure manifestation of the gale, and football is like basically shit. Uh, only James Skell could have started such an argument overnight because, let's be fair, Paul Murphy is a dual All-Ireland winner and he's got plenty of respect for Gaelic football. For me, he is Kilkenny's Gaelic football man. Uh, so we distanced ourselves very much from Skell's comments last night, but he trotted out the old line that it's easier to promote Gaelic football because there are fewer skills in Gaelic football than hurling, so you can take it up and just be an athlete who's got a few skills and you can play Gaelic football to a decent standard. While in hurling, there are too many skills that have to be learned from a young age uh, for it to be promoted easily. And then, of course, that turned into Paul Murphy telling a story from when he was having a drink in Tipperary recently and a man came up to him and said, there are four basic skills in Gaelic football, there are thousands in hurling. And Paul said, I'm just using this to illustrate a point, uh, but scale has opened a war definitely with the football pod and the football community around the country. And we know what people are like. I just heard Tommy Rooney a moment ago say that he got a tweet from someone without any sense of irony whatsoever. Where are your power rankings now? Which really made me giggle this morning with the morning coffee so, uh, that someone would actually take the time to send a power ranking tweet but well, that just goes to show it's, how seriously people take it it's coming your way Will is that your it official is. statement Will uh, Hurling Pod host O'Callaghan distances himself from scathing scale no you gotta, you gotta ride with the one you gotta, come on it's your horse ride it I don't, I don't think scale needs me to defend him I think he can take on the waves of people that are going to come from uh, to an extent I can actually see the point that he was making <laughs> albeit he made it far too strongly and therefore we no, were he was right thinking, he was right come on going, we, we all know he was right what there's only five skills in, in Gaelic football is that it scale is like Cúhullan with his sabre fighting the sea I think the four skills method was made by the drinking partner of Paul Murphy to give Scale a little bit of credit here but to an extent I can see where he's coming from in that more coaching and definitely funding towards coaching is required in counties outside of the traditional hurling counties and that was the wider debate that we were having was trying to close the gap and that's even going to come up when we talk about the power rankings in a few minutes time that there is actually a substantial gap between say the top nine counties in the country and the chasing pack 
Tommy, I, I, I welcome you back to the show uh, in anticipation of the Royal Rumble that's coming our way. Hurling pod versus football pod. A venue, a suitable venue that is both a hurling and a football field. I don't know if one exists in the country. White collar. Yeah. Hey, Will, you're a coward. You could have done that when I was on air. I had to go off and leave my pancakes on the pan. This is awkward. What are you doing? Hold on, how how exactly am I a coward here when I've just explained what Scale said last night and the fact that I think towards the end of the conversation he went, mm, Paddy Andrews and the boys probably aren't going to be happy about this. So go on, Tommy. Yeah. What's your reaction? I'm just very I'm just very surprised you'd say that. Like I I'm a football man at heart. Um I can appreciate hurling from afar. But saying that there's only four skills in Gaelic football, what planet? Kicking, fisting, fighting. And no, I think I think long kicking, what, what, dragging, hand pass were three of the four anyway. And what is there in hurling? You get it, you puck it, you fight for it. That's it. Oh, <laughs> the roll lift, the jab lift. I, yeah, I shouldn't have come back on now. So I'll leave you that. Something started here, Tommy. Enjoy your pancakes. Yeah. Thanks very much. See you, lads. Bye, bye. Nice one, Tommy. At least Will had the had the um, the ability and the the desire this morning to do the, to do the power rankings. Do you know he's not cowering away from it. I'll give you credit well, like, there, Will. Oh, yeah, what after Tom's gone. Well, <laughs> bring him back. <laughs> come on, come on back, Tommy. Check the Zoom link again. Right. No, it's, it's surely it's a cop-out that there wasn't a football power rankings. I, I sat through the whole conversation with Tommy and I was expecting the power rankings were going to kick in at some point because we're now doing a hurling power rankings after two rounds where the vast majority of teams who are inside the top six have hurled nowhere near their first teams. Well, and Tommy's got more of a supply of games to actually update his power rankings on. I didn't intend for this to turn out into a shade against your colleague. But sure, look, uh, sure. we are where we are. Uh, Bruno Brain on. I missed this one earlier and I meant to get to it. I'm sorry. How are we not getting the power ranking? It's the best part of the GEA show. And I'm a hurling man, first and foremost. Hashtag disgrace. Well, you Let- should be doubly happy now. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah, there's been shade thrown on, on the general sport of football as well. And I think it's kind of fairly emblematic of who we are as a people that we can't all be friends. We should just... Well, hurling the football people. We should just stop pretending that we can all be... Anybody. Why can't we be friends? Well... Because it's it's in our DNA, right? Uh, we've we've made the same hurling only exists in eighteen counties, right? That's why we've decided. Well, yeah. By all means, if you want to send off in the live chat at the moment or the comments after this section, and you want to say that we should be expanding this out further and looking at Division Three down, by all means do. But what I've done is I've broken this down from Division Two A up to the top of Division One. And, yeah, if you want to see the other counties, by all means, we had this argument last year and you were complaining, oh, you're forgetting about a whole load of counties. And the truth was, we would then throw up one single graphic where I would say, right, here's where we are from, I think it was 26 we went to last year, 26 to 18, we wouldn't discuss them whatsoever. And you'd want to get to number five and four and argue, hey, why are Cork ahead of Clare? Why are Clare not ahead of Cork? So if people wanted to expand out, by all means, we'll do another graphic. But I thought it made sense to cut a line at the end of Division 2A for the first power rankings this year. A bit partitionist in your logic, I would have to say. But anyway, let's move on. There, there are counties here from all four provinces. So yeah, but it's the, it's the hurling people not looking down on... I'd say if you live in the small pockets, the, the two senior hurling clubs in one of the counties who don't exist in our, in our 25 county or 24, 18 county uh, list here, then you're feeling like of all of the people who betrayed me, it's the hurling folk. Are you saying me. Send, send me a tweet that says, where are your power rankings now or where is my county on the power rankings now and we'll reconsider for two weeks. Will is the oppressive colonial overarching enemy, is that what you're saying? Of, yeah. of hurling? Yeah. Uh, you know that, that um, the, one, the one who actually pretends to be, uh, you know, um, what, what, there's a line in, in Severance which is like, um, you... 
uh, give people the illusion of freedom and they never realise they're prisoners. That's what we're doing here with the, these well, people. Off King, is King's County, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. 18 oh, is Derry. highbrow philosophy early in the morning, but go on. 18 is Derry, 17 is Carlos, 16 is Down, 15 is Kildare, 14 is Kerry and 13 is Offaly. I think we're coming for you. I think Herdy's doing a great job and we'll see as the season goes yeah. on. This is an important weekend for Kildare, Jared. They go away to Derry. Kildare won their first two games. And if they were to win that, someone is dropping points, if not both teams, in Offaly against Kerry at Fitzgerald Stadium on Saturday afternoon. So Kildare have got a chance to steal a march on those two teams. I think it's going to be two of those three that get to the final in Division 2A this year, Offaly, Kerry or Kildare. But it's a big weekend for Kildare after getting a great result against Down last time out. Down are up against it a little bit after losing two games against promotion contenders so far this year. And I don't know. I think we'll be probably flipping... 14 and 13 if Kerry can get a result at the weekend. Just very unusual to see Kerry uh, playing a hurling game in Killarney as opposed to Tralee this weekend. Uh, Down obviously up against it as well given that they come from that kit Ballycran which we now all have apparently that's how we're supposed to refer to it. Ah, So Um, Ger was the Meath Piero then? I think uh, that poor whoever it was is probably just telling their truth and they're no longer part of the uh, (laughs) I thought that was a bit, bit harsh. Everybody's entitled to make their mistake. It was uh, a reminder never to be logged into the wrong account when you decide to go wild with your comments on the Sunday mm. afternoon. And is Ballycran? I've never been. I, maybe we should all go up and investigate for ourselves. Do a roadshow up there, maybe. I, I, to be honest, I didn't think, uh, I saw the highlights in that game, I didn't think the surface looked that bad that day. It actually was one of those days where if you're going to have a pop at a pitch, it probably wasn't the right day to do so. But anyway. 12 is Leash, 11 is Westmeath, 10 is Antrim, 9 is Dublin, 8 is Wexford, 7 is Tip. Is this the yeah. lowest Tipperary I've ever been in anybody's power rankings ever, I wonder? Um, well, obviously, look, it's somewhat reflective of where we're coming from, where Tipperary were last year, because otherwise we wouldn't be doing the power rankings. We'd just say, look, here's the Division 1B and 1A tables and let's set the teams up that way. But Tipperary have shown some very impressive traits so far in the way that they've hurled. Now, they've been very unlucky, obviously, with the three injuries that they picked up last week. I'm sure they would have been hopeful that Bubbles Otherwire could play some part this year. He's now retired. Uh, what a remarkable player he was in 2016 and 2019, particularly. Uh, but Tipperary will have O'Mara this year not travelling. They're finding a few players into different positions like Bonamara at 14 is very interesting uh, to put a workhorse in there as opposed to putting Callan or Ford uh, closer to goal this season Breen at fullback is a bit of a new idea as well and Ronamara at number six so clearly Liam Cal has come in with ideas with guys that he's worked with before and there was a savage intensity to the way the Tipperary hurled in Nolan Park they got a first win there in the league since 2008 just before the break and um, I got sent a graphic from uh, GA analysis uh, during the week which is GA insights and he read a very fair point which is that Tipperary hurled quite differently under Liam Cowell compared to the last two years and the graphic he sent me showed the amount of turnovers they got to score from the opposition puck out against Kilkenny which was one goal and six points the last day at Nolan Park and that compares to 1-8 in the entire championship season of 2022 so across four games Jeez. or 1-4 in the three championship games in 2021 okay. Okay. so clearly Tipperary in the last regime were not doing enough turnover on the opposition puck out and they were manically going after it in the Kilkenny game so that's a that's a remarkable change in the way they've been playing. Okay, and that doesn't merit a place in the top six for you? Uh, not quite yet, because I don't think anyone in the top six has done a huge amount wrong and they come in with a certain amount of credit from last year. But Tipperary definitely look upwardly mobile. And then there's always that question, lads, about Liam Cal, where people have been going, hey, maybe this is a bit like Waterford last year. Maybe Tipperary have put in a really intense pre-season and maybe they're going at the league. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's actually the case. I think that Liam Cal is a manager who can come in and have a direct impact on a team. We saw that Waterford, who were at a reasonably low ebb when he took over in 2020, got them to an All-Ireland final that year. 
I'm a firm believer, and I remember we talked about this last year towards the end of the season, that there are some very good hurlers in Tipperary. Yeah. And there's now a management team who've come in that know them intimately yeah. that I think can get them into a really good order coming around to the Munster Championship. And there's one significant difference between the Waterford group and this Tipperary group, that there are still players in the Tipperary group who understand exactly what it takes to win in All-Ireland. Um, mm. I think I would have Tipperary ahead of... Uh, so you've got Waterford... Let's do your final graphic here. Waterford 6, Cork 5, Clare 4... Galway 3, Kilkenny 2 and Limerick 1. A few things stand out for me here. Um, you're talking about credit in the bank from last year. Where, what's Cork? What, what are they? Why, Cork and Waterford ahead of tip. Yeah, look, Cork have been very impressive in their first two games in the league though. Like they went to Salt Hill the last day, uh, scored was it four goals and 24 points and ripped Galway to shreds at times with their running game. And the second half performance that Cork put in against Limerick was really impressive at Porky Cueve where I think the vast majority of watchers on TV that night or the 20,000 or so that were in the park would have thought Cork eight points down against the Limerick team. This is probably going to be a fairly facile victory for Limerick in the second half. And then Cork went very directly at them. They pushed up a lot higher in the pitch and they showed that they've got plenty of goals in this team and even the last day when you consider that they didn't have Robbie O'Flynn who was injured after scoring against Limerick uh, the week before they didn't have Patrick Horgan that Cork team still carried a massive threat they're getting to a point now where Joyce is settling in very well at centre half back which was a little bit of a problem position and then there's enough movement and work rate within the forwards that we've seen in the first two games to indicate that Cork are going in the right direction but I am always very aware that we're talking about teams who are mixing and matching their players at the moment it's incredibly early in the season and we remember Cork had the wettest of sales this time last year when they beat Kilkenny at home went to a league final then didn't perform really in the league final and didn't uh, you know didn't really set the summer alight um, just about got enough performances to get out of Munster but we didn't really feel the Cork were threatening for an All-Ireland last year No uh, I, I would have tips slightly ahead of them to be honest but um, at Waterford I wouldn't have there just yet I don't think um, Claire, okay, I, I don't know what the story is with Claire, given that we're only seeing them reintegrate their best players into the team. Um, and then Galway and Kilkenny. Why are Kilkenny second? Oh, look, Kilkenny were a team who pushed Limerick to a puck of a ball in an All-Ireland final last year. And Kilkenny, we have to kind of reserve judgment a little bit until we see the real Kilkenny. Like, this is a common theme across all the teams towards the top in that TJ Reid is unlikely to play a whole lot of hurling for the rest of the league. Uh, we're not sure at this stage how bad the hamstring injury is for Oshin Mullen, so it could be a few weeks before he's integrated back into the team. So it'll be a while before we see Kilkenny's first 15. But when Kilkenny had questions asked about them last year, Leinster final against Galway, they beat Galway quite comprehensively. They beat a Clare team who were coming off the back of all the form that they had in the Munster Championship in an All-Ireland semi-final. And they died in their shield in the All-Ireland final against Limerick. That's why I think I'm keeping Kilkenny just ahead of Galway at the moment. It was a last dance. Place. Last year was a last dance, though. Uh, this year is not well, a last dance. Or maybe this year is an evolution of both style and players. And they've got Derek Ling coming in. It's a fresh voice. And Kilkenny will just work their way into the season. So, again, I wouldn't have huge concerns about the Tipperary game. I would be a little bit worried about the fact they conceded uh, 2-13 in the first half of that game. But they showed a bit of a fight back in the second half. And... Kilkenny should beat Leash this weekend. They should qualify, I think, as one of the uh, top two in Division 1B come the end of it and get to a semi-final. But Kilkenny's aspirations, I think, are a bit later in the year again. As you mentioned, for Clare, it's so hard to make an assessment of Clare right now when you have 
Conlon and Kelly in the stands the last day against Limerick watching the game when you don't have Shane O'Donnell playing uh, Clare missing so many of their key players particularly in attack at the moment uh, that's very hard to make a judgement but they'd be really disappointed they went half an hour without a score away from home against Limerick and really the final scoreline in that game at the Gaelic grounds was glossed over a little bit by the way that Clare finished the game um, they really went long stages struggling for scores in that match do we get new manager bounces often in in, in hurling? Will like I mean, look, it's a, it's a sport with so many more than four skills, so it's quite tough for <laughs> managers to have their say. Like, can it be quite difficult for teams to to bed in in the first year? Looking at the likes of Waterford and Kilkenny. No, look, again, I think um, sometimes you'll find, and we talked already about Liam Cowell's impact when he came in in Waterford, that sometimes a new voice can be enough to re-energise a good group of players. And like, I stand over the fact that Waterford last year looked like they had such a deep panel and they had everything in place to actually go and challenge Limerick. Waterford, I don't know what went wrong with them last year. I hope that Waterford have worked out within their own camp uh, what went wrong, particularly after the Limerick defeat in the Munster Championship, where they went out so tamely in Munster after that, having been the league champions. I still think this is a very, very talented group of water players. I think David Fitzgerald has got a proven track record of coming in, not just as a new manager bounce, but coming in and organising a group of players. He has been, I think, quite clever in the first two games against Dublin and Leash, where he's been bringing Ozzy Gleeson off the bench. He didn't overplay Desi Hutchinson uh, when he had third-level commitments. You saw Mikey Kiley, what he did for UL in the Fitzgibbon Cup at the weekend. And then slowly but surely, as these players start to come back to fitness and some of the new players get integrated in, we'll probably get to see a bit more of the real Waterford over the next uh, few weeks. And uh, that Waterford team have got everything primed to actually be quite good this summer. The problem is, for all the teams that we're talking about right now, and you could probably throw a blanket from two right back to seven currently, (laughs) is that Limerick, if this was not a power rankings ladder, and we were actually doing this with a gap, Limerick are considerably ahead like we talked about Clare and the players that weren't there there were so many pictures that were taken in the stands in the Gaelic grounds where you're looking at players of the year former all-stars who were sitting in the stand uh, watching Limerick with a reasonably new group of players across the team just implement exactly the same style of hurling which is scary for all the chase and pack to be honest and still no official word on uh, Aaron Glan and what involvement or otherwise he's going to have with the Limerick hurlers this year so we shall wait and see well good stuff that was this week's this year's first episode of the hurling power rankings cheers take it easy I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time from but they're, they're a great bunch but it's not acceptable uh, Danny Mac one says four skills in football that's being very kind oh, Tommy Rooney just shuddered somewhere uh, Tommy's right Armagh wasted so many chances that game should have been over five minutes into the second half Roscommon have no chance in the All-Ireland series uh, I think Tommy Off. Tommy was raising his eyebrows at the lads saying like look no I don't I don't think anybody is uh, credibly saying but I think if they continue on this trajectory, they're gonna, they're gonna. Okay, they're gonna take somebody out who they shouldn't take out. But why shouldn't they take out a Tyrone? Why shouldn't they? Because they're not supposed to. Tyrone are an All Ireland contender, and that's that's how that's how this whole thing works. That's how it's supposed to work. Do people really think that Davy Burke and the Roscommon players don't think they can win the All Ireland? Because they absolutely do think they can win the All Ireland. Yeah, but I mean, whether or not you think you can win the All Ireland doesn't actually mean the rest of us have to think you're right. No, but you know, but it's important that within the camp you believe it, or otherwise you have no chance. Well, I, I, that's not, actually not true either. Stephen Gerrard famously said, "Well, we're not going to win the Champions League," and Rafa Benitez had head off him, and then they did go win the Champions League, and it took Stephen Gerrard a little bit of genius against Olympiacos or whoever it was. Reverse so, psychology. Um, John's logic about Sheringham doesn't add up. Says shifty lads. He played for a very bad team. Yet he won Players Player of the Year. He was a star in the England team, and he proved how good he was moving to United late in life. I like John. However, he said he's impartial, but leave Saul Campbell out. The colour green doesn't suit him, says Mihal O'Connor. 
Oh, I suspect he's an Arsenal fan. Kyle Walker in the mix. Not even, no. not even mentioned. I think it's why Berbatov doesn't get it mentioned either because he left United in acrimonious circumstances. Ferguson was accused of tapping him up. I don't know. I, I think the way a player finishes their career at a club cer- certainly sours a taste. The, um, the Scott Penny debate was interesting a little bit earlier on. We were uh, talking to Alison Miller about it. Uh, Tom F1 Dublin 1 says, Re Penny, he competes against Doris, Baird, Van der Fleer, Will Connors, Ruddock, Max Deegan. He's played in 54 matches, started 42, scored 25 tries for 125 points. Now tell me he doesn't deserve his chance. Kevin McAvoy says, Penny's an unreal talent and without doubt a future Irish number seven. Ask any of the other provinces could they have him they would all snap your hand off for him there was definitely an overreaction in the comments from somebody saying that he was miles behind Timoney and somebody else and comparing him to an AIL player the guy is clearly incredibly talented so we'll see oh yeah and and the Ireland selectors have decided they want to put him in the squad but here's the thing he's not in the team he's not in the match day 23 he's part of that wider squad he was part of the uh, emerging Ireland tour as well like we've seen players get to that level and then they have a look at you and they see how well you integrate and they see how quickly you respond to what they they challenge you with in the training environment and then you either make it or you don't yeah like, and so he's not part of it um, they've obviously had a look at some of the other players like your favourites whoever your team's best underrated player is according to you and at the moment they've been sent back to the, the club team the province to try and bed down or improve to a point where there's genuine competition there or that they can be trusted to play for the first team this isn't some gross conspiracy against your <laughs> province like it really isn't that's what people like to believe though isn't it uh, he, he brings some positive attributes the penny's clearly dropped for Andy Farley brings something new into that squad um, uh, this idea that it's a Munster versus Leinster thing is ridiculous it's not sorry can I also mention as well, and this was brought up uh, in, in the press conference I was at with Jack Conan last week, uh, the fact that I, I'm nearly sure, I'm nearly right in saying, haven't we won our last two Grand Slams away in Twickenham and in Cardiff? This, have we any idea what this could do on Paddy's, Paddy's weekend? This could be something else. Do you think the players are actually thinking about the fact that this is a, a home Grand Slam? Like, which is incalculably better than winning an away Grand Slam. I mean, it's obviously better. Uh, I'd say, yeah, of course they've thought about it. They've they've talked about it. Like this idea that they go game from game, and oh, we're only thinking about Italy. Well, no, they've they've said that they only a championship or a Grand Slam this year is going to represent success. Like a championship is still you win the championship. But if they were to win the championship by losing on the last day mm. against England, if we were to win it on points or whatever, it tarnishes it. Not quite the same, folks. Not quite the same. Maybe it tempers expectations for the World Cup. Maybe it's exactly the result we need. Uh, Jack, Jack Rudder says pancakes are trash fried dough most overrated thing in history I think you're just doing it wrong Jack Jesus. basically you just need to just imp- improve your technique and performance and you'll be grand OTBAM brought to you live 20 by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day on tomorrow's show Real Madrid versus Liverpool reaction Derek McNamara analyses the figures ahead of the Six Nations return this weekend we've got around the world with Hannon Cathy McNamee is live from Marbella that's the tough gig this week mm. with Vera Powell's uh, team and much more besides OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 